Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking Comics Podcast, New York Comic Con 2013 Interview Edition. So, for you guys who've been listening over the past few weeks and have been paying attention to the site, you know that we hit New York Comic Con pretty hard, and during this time, uh, Steve, Bob, and myself compiled a massive group of interviews with a ton of of creators, writers, producers, and what have you. Um, we hit Artist Alley, we hit the show floor, um, sometimes some interviews even conducted uh, outside the Javits Center while smoking a cigarette, but it all adds up to a pretty jam-packed show full uh, of interviews. Um, you won't be hearing anything from the regular crew today as far as a regular show, only because, you know what, I we wanted to, well, I wanted to give them the day off, and give myself the day off, because we are exhausted, quite frankly, from everything that we did this weekend. Now, um, as far as things you're going to get, you're going to hear things from people like Will Sliney, artist on Fearless Defenders. You're going to hear stuff from uh, Royden Lepp, who who is the creator of Rust, who we've talked about several times. Um, you're also going to get interviews that we haven't talked to before. we got great interviews with Rebecca Isaacs and Becky Cloonan and Matt Wagner, we also get to talk to some people we've wanted to talk to for a long time, like Matt Kent um, and Brian Wood. And near the end, you're going to hear chats with Jane Espenson, writer from Buffy, Once Upon a Time, uh, Husbands. But first, I want to thank everyone who helped out. I want to thank Steve. I want to thank Stephanie Cook. I want to thank Bob Ryer, Melissa Megan, um, Karen Hug, and... You won't see it here, obviously, because this is an audio podcast, but on the site during the week, we're going to be releasing every interview we, we had in some form or another individually. So you're going to get video versions of anything we had video for, uh, and anything that we had video for, you'll get still images, and you'll still have the audio separate. Uh, but all the video was shot by uh, Brian Verderoso, who's one of the founding members of the site. He hasn't really been involved you know, fully for a long time, but he came down, he helped out, he busted his ass, and I really, really want to thank him tremendously for everything that he did for us. Now, you heard it on the podcast earlier uh, this week, and maybe this weekend, but uh, Steve Niles, a creator of Three Days of Night and an all-around awesome dude, had a really horrible thing happen to him. His house was flooded. He lost nearly everything he owned. Um... He's an amazingly nice guy, helps out so much with anyone who has any issues in the comic book world. Let's pay it back to him. Uh, send anything you can to helpsteveniles at gmail.com. Use that as a PayPal address to send it. Um, we'll try to embed that in the bottom of this article. But please, guys, um, 
maybe instead of buying one of your books, send three or four dollars over to him and, and just try to make a great guy tragedy a little bit easier. Um, I'll be repeating uh, that information uh, on the preceding podcast this week because there are things you won't hear <clears throat> um, in this one that we did. Uh, Steve did a talk with four members of 44 Flood, which you'll hear later in the week. Uh, I got a chance to sit down with uh, Kevin Smith for a roundtable interview, but I got a chance to get a really good audio signal and ask him a few questions. So you guys will hear that later this week. And you will also hear Bob Ryer's chat with comic book legend Chris Claremont. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear that because Bob did an awesome job and it's going to rock the house. Um, But uh, let's get on to today's podcast. Starting that out will be another comic book legend. This is my chat with Matt Wagner. All right, Bobby here back at Talking Comics. We're at the Dark Horse booth once again. We're here with Matt Wagner. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. All right. So, um, big uh, big announcement this weekend. It was. Um, you're doing a crossover, Shadow and Grendel yep. together. So your your first time writing Grendel in a while, right? You're, you're... Well, since uh, since the 25th anniversary, and I did uh, Behold the Devil, which right, is right. an eight part uh, yeah. series. Uh, but yeah, the first time returning to the first time drawing a big uh, mm. uh, sequential thing since that series as well. So, uh, what is, are, are you excited? Oh, very much so. Yeah. You know, the uh, I've been writing uh, the Shadow Year One for Dynamite for the last uh, little while, mm-hmm. and uh, I got an email one morning from Joe Ryban, who's the editor over there, who said, "You know, I had this idea last night in bed, and I just couldn't sleep all night thinking about it." He said, "What are the chances of us doing a Shadow Grendel crossover?" And I was like, "Oh." I think I got to draw that one too. <laughs> so yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very yeah. excited. I actually start full on production for it when I get back from this show. All right. Uh, so we're looking at next year for releasing. It's going to be three prestige size editions, three 48 page nice. books. Um, again, I'm I'm writing and drawing, uh, and my son is coloring it. Oh wow! That's yeah. a, so what's it like for you? You know, between writing and drawing. Um, and just writing. How was that process like? It's apples and oranges, yeah. you know. I mean, it's all just storytelling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I quite enjoy working with other artists, you know. I mean, uh, that all started way back in the day when I first finished the first Mage series and the, the backup feature, which was the first Grendel graphic novel. Mm-hmm. You know, I was getting a lot of praise, and everybody pat me on the back a lot, <laughs> telling me I'm doing everything exactly right, and I was like, God damn, I'm only 24 years old. This can't be right, you <laughs> yeah. know. So I decided at that point to open up Grendel to have other artists work on it. That was what led to the Christine Spar storyline and the Panda Brothers drew. So I thought if I was writing for other artists, it would help expand my own visual awareness, mm-hmm. help me see through other artists' eyes. So at this point, you know, I've literally worked with hundreds of people. Right. Um, and so I feel I'm really good about knowing what to expect from my artists, you know, even pushing them a little harder than they might have pushed themselves right. here and there. Um, but... At the same time, it's just, again, as I said, apples and oranges. You yeah. know, I'm telling a story. Um, you know, you equate it to, equate it to uh, uh, like, being in a band. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, uh, you know, if you're in a, a band, you know, occasionally some guys play one instrument, occasionally they play more than one, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if you look at a team like Lennon and McCartney, you know, in um, the Beatles, you know, I mean, they... They would write sometimes together, sometimes alone. You know, and to them, it was all just writing songs, making mm-hmm. music. 
it's the same for me in this. Yeah. So uh, Grendel's obviously your creation, but when you're writing uh, something like The Shadow, which you've been doing year one, you were saying, um, what, what's, your, what's your angle on, on The Shadow for you? And would you, have you always been a fan of that character? Do you love that oh, character? Oh, I've always been a big fan of that yeah. character. Um, uh, you know, first discovered the character back when DC did the first their first Shadow series mm. that Mike Kaluta drew, yeah. that Denny O'Neill wrote. Uh, I was about 12 or 13 at that point. Um, and uh, about the same time, this was, what, mid-70s probably? Uh, no, like early 70s. Uh, about the same time, you could get a lot of the old Shadow Radio shows on vinyl. Mm -hmm. So I was getting a lot of those. My parents are from World War II generation, so they actually listened to the show on the radio. Mm -hmm. So they could tell me about it. And then around the same time, Pyramid Books started putting out the pulp uh, novels in paperback novel form with these terrific covers by Jim Steranko. So all of a sudden... I had this like you know overdose of the shadow. <laughs> Big fan ever since. So you're talking about my approach yeah. uh, here on the Shadow Year One and the way I'll treat it in the, the crossover. I was basically trying to take so many different versions of the shadow and distill them into my one comic book version. Um, uh, so you know the shadow of the pulps is definitely not the shadow of the radio show. In the radio show, he turns invisible. That's his one thing. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have really have guns. He doesn't use guns. Right. You know. Uh, uh, and then a lot of people, uh, especially of a younger generation, know him mainly from the Alec Baldwin movie. Right, yeah. So, you know, which had its moments. It was not a perfect movie. But, uh, so I'm basically trying to take all those elements and distill it down into my version. Mm -hmm. And trying to remain true to every one of those elements, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I, in year one, I felt that we couldn't... It's not really good to get inside the shadow's head. Uh, so I have Margot Lane be the narrator. Um and therefore we get a human outlook on this character who's a little, you know, it's akin to having uh, Dr. John Watson narrate the Sherlock Holmes stories, right, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, big shadow fan, <laughs> big shadow fan. I could go on and on. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's it like, uh, you, you're a family team working on this book, right? Yeah, it's great. What, what, what is it like working? Well, you know, my son is uh, 23, and uh, I always knew he was going to go to the visual arts. I didn't know. I, I tried to keep his options open when he's younger, but he just kept gravitating back to comics. Um, and uh, so he's been coloring the Shadow Year One. Uh, he also colored before that uh, the latest Sherlock Holmes series that Dynamite did that's oh, written okay. by Leah Moore, mm -hmm. Alan Moore's daughter yeah. and her husband, uh, John Repian. Um, and... Uh, and so then he's coloring the interiors on the Shadow Year One, and I do covers for that. And he colors my covers, but this will be the first sequential thing he's colored for me. So, you know, I, he everything he does, he shows to me and asks for criticism, and he's really good about. You know, I've often told him one of your strongest points as an artist is that you uh, you listen to criticism of, of people you respect. Right, you know? yeah, of course. Um, Whereas so many young artists are just like, oh, no, that's the way I meant for it to be. It's like, well, maybe you meant it that way, but it's wrong. <laughs> uh, whereas he takes what I tell him and he incorporates it in, you know, all right, well, let me try it like Dad said. And let's see how that works, you know. So you, you've been working in the industry for a long time. You've had success with your own characters. You've had success with um, licensed characters. You've had success with, you know, the, the big two characters. I've been very lucky. You've been very lucky. What have you, what have you, what have you learned? And what do you think is the... I don't want to use secret to your success. That's a, that's a very that's a bad term, you know. But what do you think is the kind of the key to the longevity of your career and being able to uh, stick around? Uh, to, the key to my longevity is the fact that I'm in it out of passion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I have financial success, that's terrific. That's a side result. You know, I I keep 
telling people, I would probably be telling stories even if I didn't do it professionally. Right. You know, I did it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have to want to do it. You know, you have to. Uh, you know, in my secret identity at home, I'm a, I'm a chef. I'm, I'm our family oh, yeah. cook. I'm a really good cook. <laughs> but I'm not a professional chef mm-hmm. because I don't think about food all the time. Professional right. chefs think about food all the time. Yeah. Uh, I do think about stories all the time. Mm-hmm. I go to sleep thinking about stories. When I, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep, the way I lull myself back to sleep is, all right, well, let me think about that that thing from issue 10 and where I'm going to take that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm just constantly thinking about stories. Narrative is, is everything to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, A, it's passion. B, it's... Um, B, it's a... It's... A dedication to professionalism, you know. I mean, uh, I just I can't understand artists that just you know literally take six, seven years to draw something. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't you like what you do? <laughs> I I really like what I do. I can't wait to get to it every day. You know. I mean, um, uh, you know, it's also knowing that having respect for the business end of what you do. You right. know, the publishers you work with. They have the reason they are working with you is they have certain uh, realities to their business model, and if you're just going to be a a flake artist, you're destroying that end of your relationship mm-hmm. with them. So, passion, professionalism, and precision. You know, you have to you have to keep trying to get better and better and better at what you do, honing your material. Uh, for instance, I have none of my own art on display in my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have down in my studio. I have my books and stuff up right. and everything. But if I hung my own art, I would I would only look at the parts I don't like about it because right. I'd always be trying to figure out how can I make that better. Mm-hmm. And so it would bug me to look at it every day, you know, because <laughs> um, it's all a process for me. Once I'm done with one, I'm on to the next one, you yeah. know. So uh, hanging my art would be too much, uh, nailing me down in time, not mm-hmm. letting me move forward. Right. You know, it's great. That, that's great. I mean, do you have any? Do you have anybody else's art hung up in your thing? That oh, yeah, you look... I have other people's art, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do you have anything you look at that kind of keeps you in like, Sure, well, I'm talking about the shadow. I have, yeah. a, I have a very rare piece uh, in my studio. It's an Alex Toth painting wow. of the shadow. It's done as a development piece for an animated series back in the 70s that never happened. Wow. Um, uh, I have a Prince Valiant Sunday page. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, but everything from that, you know, that stuff's all more kind of adventure and rendering. Yeah. I have a Popeye daily. I have a little Abner daily. Cool. My tastes run pretty wide. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I awesome. love art, you know. Awesome, awesome. Well, Matt Wagner, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Comics. You're very it's welcome. A, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and we look forward to the crossover. Right on. All right. All right, next up, uh, Steve took a little swing by the Archaea Boom booth and talked to three awesome creators, leading off a good friend of the show and all-around awesome guy, Royden Lepp. What's going on, everybody? Uh, Steve Say, Talking Comics, and we're here with Royden Lepp. He is the writer and artist of Rust from Archaea Books. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? It's good to finally meet you guys. It is good to meet you, very much so. So uh, you said you just you, you got, you've got in on the plane, and you literally got here and you sat down. Yeah, I just I, I literally got off the plane like a couple hours ago and then like rode some trains. You have a lot of trains here, and I took a couple of them to get here, and then I just came and sat down. I haven't even walked around yet. How do they smell? The trains smell pretty bad. 
They were pretty bad smelling trains. Excellent. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Um, volume 1 and Volume 2 of Rust have been out for a little while. Rust, uh, volume 2 came out when exactly? Uh, I think it hit shelves everywhere like January. It was, it was on comic shelves a little bit earlier than that, but it was everywhere in January. Excellent. All right. So, all right. Well, I know what Rust is, and a lot of our listeners do, but for people who don't know what your book is about, why don't you give us a little synopsis? Sure. Rust is uh, kind of takes place in this alternate 1930s, 1940s era. Um, there is a family called the Taylor family living on a farm, and uh, this great long war was fought using robots, which is cool. And, uh, and Roman Taylor's father doesn't come back from the war. Uh, so he's trying to keep his farm together, trying to keep the family going, and one day this kid with a jetpack named Jet Jones crashes through his barn, and he's being chased by a giant decommissioned war robot, and uh, lots of mystery from that point forward. I, I, that's about all I can say without spoilers, right? right? Is that about it? Is that how you would say it? Yeah, I think that's good. All right, so uh, what can we, when, when can we expect Volume 3, and what kind of ground are you going to cover in that volume? Volume 3 is really different. For people that are, uh, have been on the Rust train, that have been reading Volume 1 and 2, um, Volume 3 is going to be kind of a, a, a little bit of a departure because there are so many things that are coming to light. And uh, obviously the volume's taking a, a little bit of a darker turn. It's, it's called death of the rocket boy which is uh you know that kind of tells you a lot and uh so so it's it's a darker uh volume a lot of questions get answered um but it's it just it kind of has a different tone from the first two um and i'm hoping for marchish marchish yeah i'm hoping for march sounds awesome man now let me ask you a question the the books the the art it's a it's a very um, like sepia tone monochromatic kind of art style and I think you might have talked to us about this uh, when we had you on the podcast uh, last year I believe but uh, what is it about that particular art style that calls to you that you enjoy working with it so much? Uh, the sepia tone is is great because it's uh, I mean technically it's about as easy as black and white or, or grayscale. Um, but as soon as you add that layer of sepia to it, it gives this feeling of nostalgia, like you're looking back on a history that nobody knew about, um, instead of, you know, we were too cheap to print color, which is not true. Uh, black and white has got a, is a wonderful uh, way to tell a story, too. And originally, Russ would have been done that way. But um, sepia tone really kind of elevated the not just the setting and like the the tone of the story um but kind of set it apart from other stories i haven't seen anything done like that and i uh, that's kind of what i wanted to do so nice so all right so you said i think i, I heard you say earlier that the story is going to be four volumes when it's when it's done yep all right so you have an end in mind have you always had this end in mind or is this something that as you were working with it you realized when when you were going to end it I think really early in the series, I didn't know, I didn't have a strong idea of where it was going to end, but I had a, a weak idea. I've always known where the story was going. I didn't always know how I was going to get there, but I have known all of that for for the past couple of years. So, 
there's like uh, little details that I that I am still working out on you know specific scenes and stuff that it, you know that, that still need to be written. But um, but I know I know where it's going. I know how it's going to end. I I hope people are along for the ride. I I, I hope they love it. I'm sure that they will. So let me ask you this: Who is your who's been your favorite character to write? Who are you who are you like the most attached to in the story? I love. I love Ava. I have a I have a soft spot for. Yes, she's my favorite character as well. Yeah, and I haven't got to tell a lot of story with her. I get to tell a little bit more in Volume Three. She's not a really important character, but she's uh, important to me to the mood and the tone. Um, I I uh, I'm getting I'm getting kicked out. Where? Yeah, we are. But no, I, I love writing for Ava. I, I love all the characters because I get a break from doing one and I get to move to the other. But um, but Ava's been really fun lately. Yeah, that moment when uh, Roman's talking with her about riding the bike and he says something about shutting his eyes and she asks basically, well, what is that like? I wouldn't know. Like, it, it stabbed me real hard. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a fun scene, yeah. Definitely. So, uh, what are you looking forward to here at the con? Are you here for anything in particular besides uh, promoting the book? Uh, no, it's my first time at this con, so I'm looking forward to walking around, seeing people. I, you know, a big deal to me is you know seeing guys like you, people that I haven't been able to connect with, you know, on the East Coast. So, it's it's really fun to meet kind of old friends that I haven't met before in a way. Um, but I also hear a lot of really great things about Artist Alley, how it's kind of its own space here, and. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go walk around. I'm going to spend a lot of time over there. Yeah, Artist Alley really is its own beast. Uh, all right, so let's, uh, we could wrap it up with this, but uh, let's see. So once Rust is done, do you have anything else on the horizon that you're, that you're thinking of doing? I got other stuff on the burner. Um, I got to make Rust the priority. I got to make sure that it gets done, and I love telling the story. And I may tell more stories in the Rust universe later. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping a lot of stuff in my back pocket and looking forward to the day when I can stretch my legs and do, do something else. Um, but it's probably, it's probably a ways away. Excellent. All right, I think we have time for one more. Um, could you give us an update on the film? I know this is, this is uh, yes, dangerous, dangerous territory. territory. For you and me specifically. Yes. So I'm going to leave this in your court. Can, can you tell us anything about the movie? And if you can, what is the latest? Where, where are we at with that? Because I desperately want to see that. I can always talk about what's public information, uh, which is most recently we announced the attachment of uh, Carlos Saldana, um, who's a great, great director um, who's got a, you know, a first-look deal with Fox. Um, and he's going to be... You know, he's still he, he's known for animated stuff like the Rio and Ice Age, but this is going to be his first live-action film. So I'm really excited to see his take on the universe. Um, sorry to see Joe Cornish exit, as was announced, but um, yeah, that's about all I can say. Is I'm you know, it's still moving well. Fox is really excited about this film. We're all excited about it here at Arkea. Um, it, it is not. Uh, it's it's not hanging in the clouds somewhere there, there's a lot of people pushing hard to make this movie and that's cool yeah man it sounds like there's a lot of good people in charge of it yeah. so um, alright so I guess that'll do it um, Steve Say for TalkingComicBooks.com Royden Lepp uh, writer and artist of Rust pick it up check it out and uh, we'll be bringing you guys more stuff from the con take care
What's going on, everybody? Steve Say here for Talking Comics. We're down on the uh, show floor near the Boom and Arkea booth, and we're sorry, we're talking to Alex Cade. I am so hungry. <laughs> My brain's going. But anyway, um, give you something a little bit uh, different. I ran into Alex on the floor. We're actually talking with uh, Royden Lepp as well. We'll interview him in uh, the very near future. But uh, Alex, why don't you tell us a little about, about yourself and why you're here and what you do. Uh, I'm a video game designer and I'm a writer. I also do comic writing on the side. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the extent of it. A lot of, a lot of games, uh, super into comics. So it's a lot of fun coming here every year. Well, what, um, tell us, like, what, what comics have you contributed to? Uh, for Arkea, I contributed to Mouse Guard Legend of the Guard Volume 1. Did a story called Potential with Sean Rubin, who's working on a, an Arkea comic called Bolivar, which is uh, coming out sometime, sometime soon. It's going to be pretty sweet. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. What, um, like, what's your experience been like working within like, the comics industry? Like, when you did Mouse Guard, what was it like for you? A mouse guard. I'm not sure that's as uh, I'm not sure that's emblematic of working in the comics book in the comic book industry. It was super, you know. It was, well, I don't know how to describe it. I, I guess uh, Sean called me up. Sean Rubin, the the artist who who worked on Potential, and told me that he'd uh, talked to David Peterson, who is the, you know the 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 creator of Mouse Guard, and uh, shepherded all the amazing talent that came into Mouse Guard uh, Legends of the Guard. He just said, you know, uh, David asked me to do a story. I asked him if you, if uh, it was okay if you wrote it. So we have like eight pages or something like that. Let's uh, let's come up with some ideas. Came up with ideas, and it was pretty. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, of pushback on anything we did. We got to really come up with some crazy new stuff, and uh, we were really happy with the whole process. That's awesome, man. Are you reading anything right now, comics-wise? Oh gosh. Uh, I was really interested in Dark Horse's The Star Wars. That sounded like a really cool concept, the original screenplay like that Lucas did. Uh, I just picked up the first two issues of it. And uh, what have I been? I've been uh, reading the new um, uh, Turtles comics, the new IDW. Uh, yeah, how are those? They're pretty sweet. They just, uh, they're just wrapping up their City Fall arc, which is pretty awesome. Uh, no spoilers, I guess, but uh, one of the main characters turns into a villain for a short time. It's pretty sweet. Is it Raphael? Uh, no, you think it would be, but it's uh, it's not. Who's your favorite turtle? Uh, when I was a kid, it was Leonardo because he totally had the the twin katanas. But I think that as you get older, you start to appreciate characters like Donatello a little bit more. So yeah, Donnie, Donnie's my favorite. Donnie's my favorite as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Donatello was my favorite to begin with. Just to let you know, I always okay. liked Donatello. Before anyone else. Liked Before Donatello. anybody else liked Donatello, I liked him. Yeah. <laughs> Royden Lepp likes Donatello, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so you mentioned uh, you work with games. Uh, what are you doing right now? Right now I'm working uh, for a studio called Hit Point uh, Entertainment up in Amherst, Mass. Uh, I can't really talk about the project I'm working on now, but uh, just fairly recently I finished up uh, an adventure series called Adara for uh, Windows 8 platforms, and that's kind of like Mist meets Lost. If you're into that sort of thing, uh, I was a designer on that. Uh, we just finished up the fifth episode, and it's pretty sweet. It's one of the top-grossing games on the store. So we're nice, dude. Yeah. Very cool. Now, you mentioned before, uh, off-interview, that you've worked on a couple or almost all of the Monopoly titles. 
That is that correct? So yeah, before I worked at Hitpoint, I worked at a studio called Venon Entertainment, and uh, they did a lot of mobile games, and uh, we did a lot of variations on Monopoly. So Monopoly on old school pre iPhone phones, Monopoly on iPods before they were like touchscreen iPods, so like the click wheel and stuff. Uh, Monopoly on the Nintendo DS, Monopoly on Mac, Monopoly on iPad, Monopoly on iPod Touch, Monopoly on iPhone, uh, Monopoly here and now on the iPhone, Monopoly Classic on the iPhone. Yeah, it's been a lot of, yeah, I could keep going for like hours. It's like that uh, bubblegum shrimp sort of deal. All right, two, two very serious Monopoly questions. One, what do you think of the new credit card swipe version of Monopoly? Well, if you can't uh, steal physical bills from your opponents, I don't see what the fun of the game is. That is the correct answer. And the second answer, do you, do you agree or do you think it's at all possible that Monopoly Man would ever really win second prize in a beauty contest? Uh, I mean, it's pretty clear to me that, at least in my, in my head canon, that he rigged the contest being the charlatan that he is. So... Uh, yeah, I think that he didn't he didn't put himself in first because that's way too unbelievable. But second place is like, well, maybe there just wasn't anyone prettier. So that's the way I look at it. All right, let's see. One more Monopoly question and then we'll move on. If you could come up with any piece to add to the game, your own personal piece, if you actually, they came to you and they said, you get to put an object on the board, what would it be? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I guess if it was a piece that I would always try to steal... At the beginning of the game, I'd probably go old school. I'd say like an NES controller. That would be, or like a Game Boy, something like that. That is also the correct answer. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, I guess wrapping up, what are you? How long are you here? Uh, I'm here all weekend. Uh, I, I actually, I'm working on a web comic now called uh, Beyond the Western Deep, uh, WesternDeep.net, and uh, I'm going to be here with the artists uh, for that, and we're going to be walking around and showing some people, showing some people the comic, and uh, trying to get some interest drummed up in that. Fantastic. And um, what is your like? What are you looking forward to the most out of Comic Con this year? I like discovering new comics. That's the biggest. That's the biggest thing. I like. I mean, catching up with old friends is great. Meeting new people is great. But you know, seeing seeing something I, I'd never known before, like a whole book that I had no idea existed. That's you know, that happens every year. Like last year it was uh, I think it was Black Fire. That was an Archaea book. It was like I had absolutely no idea what it was. You read the summary of it, like I have to have this. And I read it on the train, and now, I'm, you know, it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite books. But, oh, it's great. It's really good. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm excited about every year. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Jack of all trades, apparently. <laughs> and uh, we hope that you have a great time during uh, New York City Comic Con. Thanks, Steve. Great talking to you. What's up, everybody? It's Steve Say here for Talking Comics on the showroom floor, day three. Saturday of New York City Comic Con 2013, and I am at the now it's now Arkea and Boom uh, booth with Joanna Estep. And how are you? I'm stellar, honestly, doing great. Awesome. Uh, are you enjoying the con? I am. This is actually my first time at New York Comic Con having an artist alley table, and it's it's great. I'm meeting so many fans and just admiring all the cosplays and selling a lot of prints. So. All right, awesome. You know what? I was going to introduce who you are, but I'm going to let you do that. So why don't you tell tell our fans uh, what you write and what you do? Um, well, currently I do a lot of work with Arkea, and I'm a large, uh, large, 
a big contributor to Fraggle Rock, the, the, the anthologies, and also Fraggle Rock Classic, where I did all the refurbishing of uh, Marie Severin's old artwork. It's sort of the digital remastering of comics, you might say. I'm also very proud of uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is a graphic novel that, yeah, just came out, and it's uh, based on a podcast done in the style of old-time radio. And then we have a graphic novel based on that, and I did a story in there called uh, Moonshine Holler. So, and none, none of this stuff is anything that I myself have written, but I do write, like to write and illustrate my own mini-comics, which I self-publish and distribute, and... Uh, I did recently write a 40-page double issue for a startup company called Titanium Comics that was called Age of Darkness. It's sort of a zombie apocalypse story that I was hired to do, and I was really thrilled about that because I love the horror genre. That's awesome. Now, let me ask you a question because I grew up with Jim Henson. I'm a huge fan of, like, just Muppet, Sesame Street, Fraggle Rock. How did you end up uh, doing the refurbishing, and how did you get attached to Fraggle Rock in general? Well, uh, my editor on Fraggle Rock was somebody that I used to, if not work with, I became very close friends with him at a previous publisher, Tokyo Pop, as I was, I mentioned Tokyo Pop to you earlier. Uh, and he got, you know, into working with Arkea, and uh, from there, when he got assigned to edit Fraggle Rock, he called me up and was like, do you want to contribute? Can you get me a couple sketches of the Fraggles and the, the different character designs? And so I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. So I did it, and it worked out really good. And I, you know, I drew two Fraggle stories. I colored another. And then I got involved in the refurbishing because for some reason, Arkea loves me to color their stuff. I'm like their favorite person to get to color things. So when this came along, I mean, and there's actually a second volume coming out, and I've done both of them, but... Yeah, it's. I find it really relaxing to just kind of you know put the TV on and color, and it's nice. Yeah, my favorite thing when I when I'm working at stuff on home, the drawing part, I'm always super nervous about. But when it comes to the actual coloring of things, I just have a ball. Uh, so, how did you how did you get your start in comics? Um, I actually ever since I was in high school, I would I would draw a bunch of comics and then I would take my portfolio with me to. I was living in Dayton, Ohio at the time. I would go to uh, Mid-Ohio Comic-Con in Ohio, Thanksgiving weekend, and I would take my horrible binder of comics that I had drawn on 8.5 by 11 printer paper and just show it to me. I didn't know what I was doing at all, but, you know. And after a couple years of doing that, I had gotten work in a few kind of, like, minor anthologies and some stuff in print and... Uh, I, you know, finally met some people who saw my work and they just kind of were, you want a job? And I was like, yeah, I want a job. <laughs> so, and that was how I got the, the Tokyo Pop gig. And thereafter, I drew three volumes of a series called Road Song. And that was really where, fr from there, that was like my diving board into the comics industry. Started going to conventions, meeting people. And I've just kind of stuck with it since then. Right on. Very cool. So did you, uh, did you grow up with, like the uh, Fraggles and all that stuff, was it kind of a dream come true or is it just something that you fell into? It's honestly something that I fell into. Um, I was, in terms of Henson stuff, I was really into the Storyteller and the Dark Crystal. Um, so I am a Henson fan, but as for the Fraggles, I always, I make this joke that I'm like the queen of working on franchises that I've never actually like watched or really <laughs> know a whole lot about. 
Um, I, got, I feel like I did another one recently. It's slipping my mind. But uh, no, but it, it was a great introduction to the Fraggles to get to learn and study them as part of the creative team on that. And so I felt really privileged in that regard. Cool. Now you mentioned that when you're coloring that you like to watch TV and like you throw on the TV. What do you usually watch, like movies or television shows? Oh my gosh, both. Um, I love pretty much anything by Quentin Tarantino because like his movies are so dialogue heavy that I can just draw and uh, listen. Basically, you hardly have to look up. Or like police procedurals are like that, Law and Order SVU. They just, you have to watch the five minute teaser and then you just look away for the rest of the episode. But I don't know, anything addicting that'll keep me in my seat. Like I, I mainlined Breaking Bad just recently. So and it was so good. So good. Have you seen the whole series? Yes, I have. Nice. <laughs> no, it was really, I, I watch all kinds of stuff. Like, definitely, my favorite genre by far is like sci-fi and horror, which is funny because I'm like drawing fraggles and stuff. But when I'm not drawing fraggles, I'm drawing like people covered in blood and zombies and gore and stuff. <laughs> so. Have you had any time or did you have any interest in checking out the new Sleepy Hollow show? I've seen the first two episodes and I think it's cute. It has yet to really grab me, but I'm going to keep watching a little bit longer because my friends are into it. What did you think of, uh, towards the end of the first episode, when the horseman picked up the semi-automatic uh, rifle? Uh, good job, horseman. Were you weirded out? <laughs> I don't know if I was weirded out, per se. I, I don't know. It just seemed zany off the wall. I was, like, nitpicking other strange things about it, like when Ichabod was, like, talking about his eidetic memory. I was like, oh, you and every other character with the eidetic memory and like but like honestly back in the time of the um revolutionary war is that what it was everybody had a good memory because you know they couldn't just enter numbers into their cell phone that would remember it for them so it's actually historically proven that they had better memories back then they had a lot more stuff to memorize they certainly have a better memory than i do i know that um so what's been your favorite part of the con so far my favorite part of the con so far, oh gosh. Honestly, I'm, I'm such a creep. I love the cosplay, so I'll like sneak out from behind my artist alley table and be like, you're cosplaying a character I really love, can I hug you? <laughs> I just, you know, follow cosplays around my camera like, hey, <laughs> I really need your picture. I, I love you so much. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> I don't know them, but <laughs> I, I don't know, I, just, I really like cosplay. What's been your favorite one that you've seen so far this year? Um, so far this year, it was sort of a combination of two things. Like, it was a father-daughter, and the dad, it, it was a very strange combination to me, because the dad was cosplaying uh, Walter from Breaking Bad, and then he's got his little daughter with him, and she's cosplaying uh, Mikasa from Attack on Titan. And I'm like, well, that's so cute. And then I thought to myself, wait, Attack on Titan is really gory. You let your child watch that? <laughs> so... Have you noticed that every, like bald, older man at this with just had to get a goatee and a, like a Heisenberg hat. There's at least, I've seen at least 200 Walter Whites. Yeah, Walter White is the new Silent Bob cosplay. <laughs> I saw one of those too yesterday. He's leaning up against the wall at Artist Alley and I, I pointed him out. I'm like, that looks exactly like Kevin Smith. It's crazy. No, but the Walter White I saw that I liked, he had like the yellow hazmat suit and the goggles and the mask and everything. So it was... It was he's more involved than just like the black hat. So 
I was like, I was appreciating that one. <laughs> nice. So what do you have, like, what's on the horizon for you? What do you have coming out next? Or, or like, what's your newest, your latest uh, edition of the comics world? My latest edition to the comics world is one I mentioned before called Age of Darkness, which um, isn't quite released yet, but I'm very excited to see that one. It's coming out from Titanium Comics. Uh, um, all my other sort of exciting news is all just things in the pipeline. Like I, um, I'm working on a original pitch right now with uh, Boom and Arkea called Jangala, which is sort of a urban gangland retelling of the Jungle Book, and I'm really excited about that one. So that sounds. I like that. I love the Jungle Book. That's really cool. All right. Well, why don't you uh, tell everybody where they can find your stuff, Twitter, websites, whatever you got. Um, I'm pretty easy to find online if you just, you know, joannaestep.com, J-O-A-N-N-A-E-S-T-E-P.com, or like, and I use my name as, like, my my name, like, one word, or joanna-estep on Twitter, DeviantArt, Tumblr. It's usually just joannaestep, one word, so you can find me on all those sites that way. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your time at the con, and we'll see you around. Thanks, guys. All right. The interview train keeps on rolling here. Uh, I got the chance to stop by the Vertigo DC booth and talk to two creators, actually three creators, of um, two of the newest Vertigo titles, Hinterkind and Coffin Hill. And so here are those conversations. All right, talking comics here. Yay. <laughs> Ian Edgington, uh, writer of Hinterkind. Yes. Uh, new series from Vertigo, which yep. just debuted this month. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so the first issue is out. How has the reception been so far for you? Uh, cautiously positive. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a natural pessimist. So, but um, the feedback and the, the like, Twitter feed and people's reactions to stores and stuff in general have been really positive. And um, I'm pleasantly surprised, which is nice. So the book, um, which I, I very much enjoyed, was a uh, is an interesting uh, combination of a lot of different uh, genre elements, right? You've got yeah. a post-apocalyptic tale, you've got sort of a fantasy tale, you've got sort of an ecological fable going there. How did you come about th- this combination of items? It was, um, I just wanted to do something different but familiar if you know mm-hmm. what I mean uh, I wanted to do a post-apocalyptic thing with a, a greened over world um, I'd, I'd, I'd read uh, there's a lot of like John Wyndham stories and um, things like I Am Legend stuff, mm-hmm. where it's the you know the, the, the post-civilized world um, and I thought I, I love that as the backdrop and I thought well how do we get into that and then I, I had the idea well what if the, the, the creatures of myth weren't you know weren't uh, the airy fairy you know, fey characters, but actually were p- proper flesh and blood creatures that we kind of like are driven to the corners of the world, you know, with with fire and pitchforks and pogroms and stuff like that. And then with mankind wiped out, they kind of crept back, and the first person that you know, people they hate, well, most of us will be you know will be humans. Mm. So they you know, after seventy years they'd kind of re- retaken the world kind of thing. Um, and so it's it was just kind of. Uh, almost like an obvious kind of story, but trying to do it with a twist, with a big twist. So the uh, the, the, the the fairy creatures aren't what you imagine. No, they they aren't magical. They're flesh and blood, and they're really angry. Uh, the the apocalypse isn't kind of radiation and giant mutants. It's kind of greened over. It's kind of actually quite pretty. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um it's not what you'd expect. Right, so yeah. yeah. So I want to kind of keep on wrong footing people basically. Mm. Yeah, I noticed that too because you know you, it starts out uh, with a kind of very bloody. Uh, uh, very disturbing scene yeah. and then it's quickly into this this green almost it's obviously something horrible has happened but 
the people don't seem miserable. They don't, you know, they seem maybe they're on edge. And I, I loved how that those two things mesh together. Now, when you were when you were bringing this, was was Vertigo the first place that this this was, uh, you know, yeah. created? Yeah, I mean, I I'd had it. For, I had the idea for a while, and it was something I put in the drawer and came back to, and, and kind of it, it, it drip fed kind of ideas into it. And then I was just looking around, and it's like, well, Vertigo just seemed like a natural fit, yeah. basically. So, and I talked to Will before um, about the, about the idea, and he said, you know, that, yeah, just send it in. You know, we'll see. And I went in, uh, sent it in, and. Uh, I think it got turned around within like three months, which was like kind of wow. the, the narrow, smallest windows I'd ever done anything. So I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's good. So uh, I, I took that as a good sign. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, and I, I mean, I like, I like to say, I like the fact that it's kind of this Arcadian kind of Eden-like wilderness, but um, there's a line I have in it where it says, the, you know, this, the wilderness, the world has teeth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ready to, to devour the unwary. So although it looks beautiful, um, we have like prosperous parents, you know, they, they died, of, you, know, you can die of smallpox, or you can, if you cut yourself, you can die of tetanus. Uh, it, it's that you know. It's, it looks beautiful, but it's very dangerous as well. Yeah. And what made you uh, settle on New York as a, as a setting for that? It's it's an iconic thing. You know, you could use Rome or you could use London or. But I just thought it's it's that it's become more like mythologized now. It's like you know the so and I thought you know um, and Central Park was where they they would have their farm and where you know right. they put the the, the the meadows under the plough and things like that. Mm-hmm. So and also being an island, I just thought as well it's um, with the bridges overgrown, it, it makes them that secure. That, you know from marauders and things like that. So it just seemed like a natural fit. Yeah, and it's, it's it's a great setting for and it. Also obviously. great visuals as well because yeah. you know so the the levels yeah. make it a, a yeah. very interesting and uh, obviously we're. You, you, you kind of you hinted other New York locations as well, which we're going to see at these characters yeah. most likely go to. Um, now, can you give us a hint about what, what's to come in the future? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very twisty, turny, but we'll, we'll have like have Prosper's adventure because she's going to go. She's trying to find her grandfather. She's with Angus, um, and then we're actually going to be introduced to the uh, what the, what we would know as elves. They're called the Shea in the story. Mm. Uh, they've basically colonised the West Coast. They've taken over all those movie producers' houses, um, and so uh, that's where they've built their empire. And so we'll see the there's a lot of like, politicking and intrigue and Machiavellian going on. A bit kind of Games of Thronesy mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because out of all the the hinterkind. They're the most like politically adept, uh, sophisticated culture. So they're the ones that first kind of, you know, planted their banners and, and started to build their empire. But then we'll also see in the Midwest, there's uh, centaur horse clans and then the, like, the ogrekin. And, so and then what we've called uh, skinlings, which are basically what you get uh, werewolves and vampires and all, that, and all that, that kind of like night creature that what they derive from. They live in the Northwest, you know, the mm. Seattle and all that. You know, the, and so you've got these, these enclaves, these little empires growing and as they brush against each other that's when the spark starts fly kind of thing so nice do you like this kind of world building stuff because you're obviously you're starting from uh, a near future place of the real world but you get to build your own stuff on top of it so do you love kind of building out these worlds absolutely yeah it, it's and uh, it kind of feeds into itself that um, a, a couple of issues ago I, I wrote um, uh, some scenes with the queen and uh, just I, I thought I'm gonna give her a bodyguard and I gave this this bodyguard like dressed in red robes with uh, some swords behind his back. And I just thought he's so cool. Yeah. And his name's Malachi. And I thought he's staying. He, and he wasn't in the initial outline. I said, "Well, it's out, okay." And it's just like, yeah, because he's a really cool character. So yeah. I don't know where he's going to go, but like, he's 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 in there now. So it it just kind of it just expands. It kind of feeds on itself. So it's yeah, it's it's awesome, awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's ongoing, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Monthly series from Vertigo. So uh, so. Uh, that is going to wrap our interview up with Ian Edging, a writer of Hinterkind. Uh, Ian, thank you so much for giving no, your time you. here at New York Comic Con, and we look forward to see what else we do with the book. Excellent. Right. Thank you. Take care. All right. We're back on Talking Comics, and we're here with Inyaki Miranda and Caitlin Kittridge, the creative team behind Coffin Hill. All right, guys. That's right. How are you guys doing today? 
I'm, I'm great. Um, I'm, I'm sleepy and I feel like I've been walking around for days, but that's New York Comic Con, so it's exactly how it should be at this point in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the book launched just this week, obviously. Uh, how's the reception been so far? Uh, it's been great. Um, I, I've actually been blown away by how positive um, people have been about it and how well received the book has been. Like, it's, it's great to get so much feedback from so many people who told me they bought it or put it on their pull list or just let me know that they enjoyed it. And I mean, as a writer, that's really the best thing you can hope for when you have a book come out. So I, and I'm sure Inyaki is happy oh, yeah, too. Yes. I've been reading, last night I got stuck in Philadelphia for four hours and I started reading all the reviews because I had nothing else to do. It was, it was amazing. I, I'm, I'm really happy with the, the reaction so far. Yeah, so how does it feel to be um, part of the, the Vertigo tradition now? Um, it, it's amazing for me. Um, I started, uh, really getting into comics when I read Sandman and Hellblazer back as like a freshman in college which was like over 10 years ago now probably and to think that like 10 years if I had told myself back then that 10 years later I'd have a book coming out from Vertigo I would have been like shut up I will not you're on crack <laughs> crazy <laughs> get away from me crazy lady <laughs> but it, it's been awesome like I can't really articulate it beyond that because I'm still so overwhelmed the book just came out two days ago and it's my first comic I actually got my start writing novel so the whole comic thing is really new to me and to start with Vertigo is really crazy <laughs> frankly so yeah and to me I think it's the best place to be in comics mm -hmm. because it gives you freedom to experiment at the same time it pushes you and at the same time it it, uh, it teaches you I mean uh, I have the huge lag working with Shelly Bond and it's, it's a great ride because I learned so so much in so you know so so few in time that I'm just so lucky. That's yeah. Um, so I, re I read the, the the first issue and it was I loved it. I love the, the the horror angle of it. So is some horror something that you're you're drawn to? Is something that is that your is that your genre? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I started off um, when I was writing. I started off writing um, paranormal romance, so it was a lot, um, a lot more relationship, a lot more sexy, uh, a lot less really delving into like the psychological and you know, and thematic mm -hmm. aspects of the horror. But um, and then I, I when I my uh, second novel series came out, I did something that was definitely a little more straight, like pulpy kind of fantasy. There were like you know rogue magicians, demons, that kind of thing. And then I really feel a Coffin Hill. I fully made the jump into horror, which is something I've always wanted to do. Like I'm a total like old school horror movie fan I have been since I was a really little kid like I used to be the kid that wasn't allowed at sleepovers because I'd scare the other girls too much with, like the, the when we would all tell ghost stories I actually got banned from somebody's house once because I scared, I freaked her out too much during a sleepover but, <laughs> yeah so it's been it, it's really kind of been like a lifelong ambition of mine to work on a story like this and I feel really fortunate that I have the opportunity now there was a question for me or but no? about horror, but is, uh, is, oh, yeah. oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big fan of every kind of horror. From and, and in some way, the atmosphere that we're getting Coffin Hill, I think, is a mix mix of so many kind of horrors movies, like you know, from The Shining in in some ways to series like The Killing and also Sam Raimi. Mm -hmm. And there's, it's a great mix where, that we're getting into this book. So, yes, I'm, I'm a fan, and I'll always be a yeah. fan. Yeah. What is, uh, what, how is your working relationship? Like, how do you guys operate together as a, as a team? I, I, think we, I think we do great. Like, I, I mean, it, we were up to, like, the third issue now as far as the art and the story goes. And um, 
yeah, we, we email tons. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm not a very artistic person at all. Like, I'm definitely a writer and I'm not very visual at all. And it blows me away that Nyaki can take, like, a three-sentence description and turn it into, like, this amazing page with, like, all this, like, depth and detail and all this stuff. Like, I never would have thought of in a million years. So I feel it's very collaborative, like, in the mm. best possible way. Like, I, I feel like we're, we're very even collaborators. And um, he can be a bit of a diva. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm the nice one and he's the diva. No. <laughs> Yagi, what about you? Yeah, she oh she she threatened me to punch me. <laughs> so I'll say whatever you want. <laughs> no, I mean she gives me a script with so much atmosphere and the dialogues are great. It's it's so fun to to work with her. It's, it's we don't have to speak that much because uh, I think we connected in in you know, in the artistic level, without even speaking. Yeah, I don't feel like I have to micromanage him at all, which is great. And because I'm, a, like I said, I'm a brand new like baby comics writer, and I would not know how to give that much direction to somebody. So <laughs> <laughs> I just like I don't know. I I, I can draw a stick figure. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you know, it's funny from you know from Stephen King to Joe Hill to H. P. Lovecraft. New England seems to be a very horror-filled place in, in literature. Is there a reason why you picked a New England setting? For your your story, um, I'm I'm from there. I grew up about 45 minutes from Salem, and I I, I uh, I've always found it to be a very kind of spooky place compared to the rest mm. of the country. And I was really influenced by people like Stephen King because you mm. know he's everywhere because yeah. he's a New England writer who writes about New England, the scary New England. And um, I, I just think it's such an old place compared to the rest of America that I think there's kind of a, an, an eeriness to it that really draws people who write scary stories atmospheric mm. stories like you know psychological horror that kind of stuff and um you know we've got like you've got like all the ghost haunting stuff the historical stuff you've got like the mohawk and the algonquin legends mixed in there mm. and just it's really just like the perfect setting like you couldn't ask for a better setting and since i grew up there and i was bombarded with like new england history and salem witch trials history and all that like all through school and it just it just kind of came naturally like i've always wanted to kind of do justice to Having such a great, such, having such such like you know a great firsthand experience to turn into a horror story like growing up there. So right. I'm just glad I got the chance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what does it look for you to when you recreate when you're when you're when you're drawing, you're creating uh, a, a real area like New England. Do you look at reference? How do you go about creating it? Oh yeah, I got a lot of reference from from her uh. when we were like uh, creating the visual development of uh, the series. Mm-hmm. And and there also there's a lot of creative license where you create a nanosphere that's only for the book. You know, New England, I, I've never been there, but it's, it's famous around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what's New England. So sometimes just what you what you sense in your mind and then you draw something different, but it, the sense is there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what, how I feel about it. Great. And can you guys give us any, any hints of what's to come uh, in Coffin Hill? Um, lots, lots more um, terrifying revelations for Eve, the heroine. Lots more complications for her. We're going to delve much deeper into her relationship with her family and her family secrets and how they impacted this evil that she set free in the first issue. And we get to see how exactly it's been poisoning the whole town of Coffin Hill and what effects it's had as the story rolls on. So I can't say too much more, but issue three is one of my favorites, and it's really exciting. So definitely definitely looking forward to that. <laughs> All right. 
Oh, she knows more than me about it, sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm blind right now. I'm in the middle of he's issue only, three. He's only so <laughs> she doesn't want to tell me four, that. So. Okay. <laughs> Not much. All right. Um, well, uh, Inyaki Miranda and Kim Clitcher, thank you so much for talking with us on Talking Comics. And we look forward to seeing more Coffin Hill. Oh, well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You know, one of the uh, complaints or criticisms or maybe just advice we get from a lot of listeners is that we don't have enough artists on the show, and we completely uh, agree with you. So this next block of interviews is really a block of artists uh, that we got to talk to, some amazing, amazing people um, we got to jaw with for just a little bit of time. Um, but if this is any indication, uh, in the future, in the coming year of Talking Comics, you're going to hear a lot more awesome artists. But for now, enjoy this lineup of spectacularly talented people we got to talk to at New York Comic Con. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's uh, Steve Say for TalkingComicBooks.com, and we're here in Artist Alley, and we're speaking to Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque. He is the uh, artist on Letter 44, which is a new series coming out from Charles Soule, uh, actually next Wednesday by the time that you're hearing this. So uh, how you doing, man? Hi, how you doing? Excellent. Um, how'd, you, uh, how'd you find getting in here this morning? Uh, this is pretty busy, actually. It's a very big one, and I'm really happy to be here. That's awesome. Um, are you looking forward to anything at the con? Uh, I hope I sign a lot of new Letter 44 issues, and other than that, a lot of sidemen, a lot of people I know, a lot of friends, so to have a, a really good time. That's awesome. Um, let me ask you, how did you, how'd you get your start in art? Like, what was your inspiration to become a uh, comic book artist? Well, okay, this is a long one. Go for it. Go for it. I, um, well, I guess like everybody else, I started reading comic books when I was a little kid. I always draw, like everybody has always drawn, but I never stopped. So I keep going. I always read, read comic books, and I really know, knew from a very early age that I wanted to uh, dedicate my life to drawing comics, and I went for it. Uh, I finished uh, high school and I entered a private school in, in Spain, uh, in Madrid, where I live, to learn a little bit about uh, comic books and illustration. And from then I, get into, I got to know some people who knew some people who got me into the French market. Nice. Um, and from there, from there everything went on. I, I've been almost 10 years uh, drawing comic books for French uh, publishers. And right now, I'm, this is my first complete book for the American market. That's fantastic, dude. Um, when, you were growing, when you were growing up and you were drawing, what, were, like, what was your primary, what did you like to draw in your spare time? What was your, your fixation while you were like, honing your craft? Okay, uh, I started drawing mostly Dragon Ball Z stuff because I was a very big fan of the series. It came out in Spain when I was about eight or nine, so I was like crazy. Then I went to comic books, uh, superheroes, uh, X-Men, mostly Marvel things because uh, they were most uh, affordable in Spain. And Conan and things like this. Uh, really, really cool stuff. Excellent. Uh, what, can you, what can you tell us about Letter 44? Well, it's a new ongoing series coming out uh, next Wednesday, uh, which is Wednesday 16th, or I think. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, there, it will hit the stars then. Uh, it's, a, it's a series, uh, uh, like Charles Soule, the my writer, tells uh, everybody it's a mix between uh, 24 and 
2001 Space Odyssey. So yeah, we have a lot of uh, political intrigue and a lot of space uh, adventure. That's ex. That sounds really cool, actually. Um, I've really been digging his work, and I didn't even know that he had a, a new series coming out. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Who's um, who's been your your favorite character to draw in in the series so far? <laughs> well, uh, I have a I have a couple. I I love uh, to draw President Blaze when he's not President Lee. You know. So he's uh, like an ex-boxer and he trains a little bit, he plays with his uh, son. Um, that's, uh, those are really cool stuff, to, uh, uh, really cool scenes to draw. And other than that, I have a lot of fun drawing uh, Manesh, who is uh, one of the scientists going in the spaceship. And he's from Indian descent. And he's a cool character because Charles is making uh, him a little bit... Uh, funny let's say it's really really cool to draw that's awesome so all right so you're all the way from Spain how did you end up getting hooked up with Charles for the series okay this is a long one too <laughs> go for it man okay. we, we, we got time I met uh, f uh, another artist from the US uh, at a convention in Algeria uh, his name's Steve Lieber uh, okay. his artist for whiteout uh, now I think he's drawing superior falls of spider-man yeah. Really, really cool guy. Um, yeah, hysterical. Really, really strong as an artist, and uh, he invited me over to Portland where he lives. And he has a studio, Periscope Studio. So he invited me over three weeks at his place to hang out, go to studio, work with him, meet some people, and I got to go to Emerald City Comic Con. Ah, nice. There I met uh, Oni Press's editor, Jill Beaton. And she proposed me to work with Charles, and that's the short story, let's say. That's the short version? Yeah, that's the short one. Very, very cool, man. So what is, um, like, what's your creative process and what's your setup like? Like, what tools do you use to create your panels and such? Okay, um, I, I work traditionally. So I go from uh, storyboarding to layouts on the complete page, A3. I think it's 11 by 17 inches. Something like that. Uh, I do. I do it all traditionally. I use pen and ink, basically, brush uh, for the inks, brushes, and nibs. That's really cool, man. Do you have Do you have um, any other work besides uh, Letter Forty Four that's available? Uh, here in the U.S., I also drew uh, some short stories. I drew a short story for Skull Kickers, uh, issue 18th, I think. I did a four-pager there. I also did two uh, short stories for the Pathfinder Goblins uh, miniseries at Dynamite, issues two and three. I have uh, one in uh, one short story in each uh, issue. That's very cool, man. All right, I got one more for you. When you're when you're drawing and when you're creating, do you listen to any music? And if you do, what do you listen to when you're when you're drawing? Okay, I mostly listen to radio, or talk radio from the U.S. I'm a very big fan of one of the talk shows here. Which one is that? Uh, Opie and Anthony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, no, it's really right. cool, That's man. Awesome. It's really cool. They have evolved. They are not that uh, shock jocks as before, but I'm, I'm a very big fan of them. And when I have to listen, I have. When I listen to music, I like rap music. So Really? Who do you, who do you like yeah. in rap? Who's your favorite? Well, uh... Who's your favorite in hip-hop? Like, 90s hip-hop. Who's your favorite? 
Yeah, that's Tupac. Uh, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Tribe Called Quest for me. Okay, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, I have, yeah, I have a lot of favorite artists from Spain, from France, and from the US. So. That's really yeah. cool, man. Um, thank you so much for, for talking with us. I am really super excited. I'm actually, I'm going to pick this up when we're uh, <laughs> done wrapping this up. Um, uh, Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque, artist of Letter 44 with Charles Soule, out next Wednesday. Uh, take a look at it, guys. It looks pretty awesome to me. I'm flipping through it right now, and it looks sweet. So thank you so much, man. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, we'll be bringing you more from Comic-Con in probably the next recording. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Uh, all right. So we're here uh, day four, New York City Comic-Con 2013 with Michael Walsh. Uh, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. It's a four-day con, so uh, Sunday afternoon I'm pretty exhausted, ready to get some sleep for once. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, so, big announcement, obviously, yes. uh, this weekend. Uh, you were going to be doing Secret Avengers with Alesh Kot. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm terribly excited <laughs> and nervous and anxious and hoping I make all the right people happy with it. <laughs> um, so... Uh, what, uh, what characters are you looking forward to playing with there in the Marvel Universe? All of them, really. Um, I'm kind of excited that Spider-Woman's going to be joining the team uh, with our run, so she's going to be fun to draw. I'm getting to redesign some stuff, which, which I'm having a blast doing, taking some old characters and revamping them for the modern age a little bit. And uh, there's a secret character on the team... And uh, if you look closely at the cover that Declan Shelby has uh, for the first issue, you might be able to make out or guess who it is, and that character is the character I'm most excited to be drawing. <laughs> so I'm not going to say who it is. It's not public knowledge, but it's kind of obvious if you look, if you look at that cover. Awesome, awesome. Um, so what has been like working with Alesh uh, on this book? Well, I haven't worked uh, too much on the actual book yet. Like I said, we're in the preliminary stages, so I've been doing mostly design work, and uh, we've been talking concepts and, and plots and stuff like that. But I did work with Alesh previously on Zero, so we already have an established uh, working method that has been successful with Zero, uh, our, our image book. And um, we work pretty openly with each other. It's very collaborative creatively very satisfying for me because I'm, I have a lot of input and say in, in the panels and the way that the narrative structure unfolds in each scene. He's, a, he's an interesting writer. He's, he has a lot of out there ideas and he does some um, pretty uh, complicated and heady stuff. Um, Zero, the first issue at least, feels a lot more uh, straightforward. Um, now, is, is, you know, I think people probably have been reading his stuff of the idea of he's kind of a bizarre person. What is he like in actual life? Um, he's full of personality in life. Uh, he's a genuinely good guy, which you really get from him when you meet him in real life. And um, he's intelligent. He's got a lot of opinions. And, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. I get along really well with him. And I had a lot of fun with him this week and meeting him for the first time in real life. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so uh, what are some of... Uh, well, two questions. What, you know, one, what are some of your biggest influences on the stuff that you do? And what are the stuff that's coming out now that you, you love? Uh, I think some of the biggest influences, uh, whether you can see them in my work or not, um, would be uh, I love Mignola. I love Hellboy all the way back to the beginning. And he's a big influence on me. I love uh, Alex Toth, who's just, his ethos is to just go simpler, right? Simpler, the better 
clarity of storytelling and then you know build up from there but don't go overboard when you don't need to um, I really like Jorge Zafino he's an artist um, who did Winter World he did a little bit of Punisher stuff with Chuck Dixon but he doesn't have really too much uh, North American work but his stuff is absolutely beautiful phenomenal um, and then in terms of, of what's going on right now the artists I like um, I love Somni I love uh, Gabriel Hardman I love Declan Shelby's work. I mean, there's so many guys right now. Uh, Sean Phillips is just killing it. David Asia on Hawkeye, and they're all they're all doing unique things, but still in the same same uh, train of thought. And I think everyone has similar influences that's doing that kind of work. So uh, I can really respect everything that all of them are doing as well. Yeah. Is there anybody you look at and it's just you look at it and you're like, oh man, I I'm awful. Like I need to. I need like there's something that like inspires you in that way now. Like it challenges you to be better like every day. I. I try and not be too negative about my own work, although, you know, as an artist, you kind of inherently hate everything that you do, right? So I just don't want to go to bed at night hating myself and crying into my pillow. So when I see work that I enjoy and I like, I just try and get inspired by it and say, you know, I can do better and I can, I can be as good as this, or at least I can get, get as close as I can try. I can try and be as good as this. And that's, that's my goal when I see work that I enjoy. Yeah, so... Um, I think a lot of people, you know, who read comics don't know the the workings and the, the relationship between writer and artist. Now, you've worked with a few different writers in your career. Uh, is everyone different? Is there a certain way you'd like to work um, with someone, or is it just kind of a case-by-case -case basis? Um, it's a case-by-case -case basis. I mean, every collaboration is different. <laughs> Ed Brisson just interrupted and ruined this interview, so I'll never collaborate with him again. But no, I love Ed, and, I, and we're, we've got some stuff in the pipeline as well, and, uh, and we have a really good working connection. We have a lot of the same tastes in not only comics, but in film and in, in television and in, in novels, and um, that helps a lot, you know, and I read everything that Ed writes. I just, I just really respect his work, so it's nice to be creating something with him that I would read if I wasn't drawing it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a very different collaboration with Ed than it is with Alish, than it is with Joe on X-Files. Everyone has a very different writing style, and you have to find a way to adapt to each collaboration and create um, your best work that you can under that uh, confinement. Yeah. So you, brought, you brought up X-Files. Is that a property that you loved before you started working on it, and how did you come to actually be a part of that book? I was pretty young um, when it was originally being aired. I think I was, you know, seven and so it was a little, a little bit too scary for me. I was kind of a big wimp when I was a kid. I, like, I ran out of the theater during Hook because of Hook's shadow, you know. I, was, I had a very big imagination, and, you know, that stuff caused me nightmares. And, but uh, I tried to watch it because I was interested in it, and, like, I, I liked watching it. It was just the aftermath of watching it that wasn't good. So, you know, I, I think uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark was probably my threshold with horror as a child. Uh, but, no, I went back after that and watched everything, you know, in high school. And, and yeah, I lo I'm a fan of the series uh, coming into it, and I love that kind of uh, monster of the week with an overarching mythology concept that that brought to television, you know, and I love horror stuff and monsters and aliens, and it's all, it's all great stuff. It's a good book, then, for you to be working on, then. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, the likenesses um, are something that's always, that's always there and I always have to be conscious of making sure that these characters actually look like all the actors and actresses that played them in the television show. So it's an added layer of work, but it's also rewarding, and, I'm, and I learn a lot from doing that. And 
through X-Files, I actually got much better with, uh, with drawing people's faces and like nuances and expressions because I was trying to model them after these actual, uh, like after David Duchovny and after Gillian Anders Anderson's actual, you know, the way that they, they pout their lips when they're feeling somewhat despondent, you know, like just the very small things can make, make a comic go a long way and those things make a good comic, you know. And, and how did you come to be uh, working on X-Files? I had been talking to IDW about, about doing something there, and it was pretty quick, actually. Like, I, Comeback had just finished my first image book, which I, which I did with Ed, and um, I was kind of putting my feelers out there. I wanted to try and do a little bit of work for hire because I just wanted to see what it was like because Comeback was my first published work. And um, IDW had enjoyed what, what we did on Comeback, and when I reached out to them, you know, they, they got in touch with the other editors at the, on all the different properties that they're doing and just looked for something that, you know, would be appropriate for the way that I draw and my style. And uh, it, it came up pretty quickly, actually, from when I got in touch with them to when the project became available. And, uh, and yeah, and it just it worked out. It was fluid and there was no hiccups. We just talked and it worked. And, and now the book's out there and the X-Files fans are loving it. So that's all I could ask for. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned you know work work for hire and stuff that's that's creator own that you're self publishing or not self publishing, but you have published that, that's yours that's that's created. What is that that dichotomy like? The difference between those two things? Now you've now working for Marvel, you work for IDW, you work you know you publish a book through Image. What's that like? It's very different. It's a different experience. Um, Image really, there's uh, you do whatever you want. Um, you create something yourself. You own it. You don't have really any hands in there except yours. And uh, when you're working on a licensed stuff, you've got multiple hands in there all wanting something specific, right? So with X-Files, we're dealing with IDW and Fox. And with Marvel, then we'll just be dealing with, you know, you're just dealing with one hand, you're dealing with your editors, right? But, um, you know, there's positives to both. And um, every new experience, I'm trying to learn from it and then bring that back. So now next time I go to the creator-owned stuff, I'll be able to incorporate a lot of the stuff that I've learned doing work for hire. Awesome. So um, obviously Zero's hitting shelves now. Uh, it's coming out. Is that an ongoing or is it limited? Uh, Zero's an ongoing. It's going to have a different artist for each issue, though. So much in the same vein of Global Frequency that uh, Warren Ellis did, where that was the, I think it was 12 issues. It was all like spy espionage stuff. Same characters, but a different artist for each mission. And that's, that's what Alish is doing with Zero. So, you know, I, I, I created the character with him and did the first issue. And, um, and then subsequent issues will be all different artists. So Tradmore, I know, is doing the second issue. The artist on Luther Strode, and it's absolutely stunning. It comes out this Wednesday. I'm not sure when this uh, podcast will air. Oh, perfect, yeah. Uh, come out today. So go grab it. Go to the store and grab it, because it's amazing. And, uh, and even if you can't find Zero One, you can still pick up Zero Two. And it's its own self-contained story, right? So each issue, like, there are overarching themes, and, and it's going to build towards something larger. But for the most part, they're all just separate missions, and this one super spies a uh, very, very insane uh, career of being a super spy. So, um... And Secret Avengers, that's still a while off. Are we saying like March or something like that? Yeah, well, we're, we're going to be relaunching with a, a new number one for Secret Avengers, and we're, we're doing our own thing. So if, if you like what we did on Zero, you like the spy espionage explosions and wackiness, um, we're going to be bringing that to Secret Avengers and creating it, creating our own, our own idea of what that book can be, and which is why we're relaunching with the number one. 
Uh, we're putting our own stamp on it. And the, yes, that's going to come out in, in, uh, in March 2014. Yeah, wow. Okay, great. And uh, anything else coming from you in the, in the near future that we should be looking out for? Um, yeah, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing some cover work at Valiant, so keep an eye on Archer and Armstrong and Harbinger and some of their books because uh, I'll have some covers coming out. I, I'm not, I can't remember which specific issues number it is, but yeah, those are some books that I've got, some uh, the main covers and variant covers and pull box stuff. So um, I'm having a blast working with Valiant, working on those covers, and, and it's, I'm flexing a whole different part of my brain. Um, when you're just doing a cover, you're just doing design work for a book, you know, it's it's creatively freeing and satisfying as well because you know you don't have to think too much about the interior story you're just making a compelling image that you want to stand out on the shelves next to a bunch of other books and and it's really fun and i'm having a blast with that well michael walsh thank you so much for giving us some of your time uh here on talking comics and uh enjoy the short time you have left in your con i will try and not fall asleep at my table <laughs> thank you What's going on, everybody? Steve Say down here in Artist Alley at New York City Comic Con 2013, and we're down here with Mike Del Mundo. He is artist and cover artist of uh, currently X-Men Legacy. You've seen tons of the Legion covers. Uh, more recently, he was uh, the interior artist for Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Uh, Superior Spider-Man team-up. My bad. It's for the Infinity uh, lineup. Right, right. And you did issues number... Three and four. Very cool, man. Very cool. Uh, how you doing, man? Are you enjoying the con? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having a lot of fun. I mean, I'm from Canada, so it's a bit of a vacation for me. So. Oh, you so what part of Canada are you from? Toronto. So, so. Oh, you're from Toronto. Yeah, small New York, in a way. That's awesome. We got uh, our Stephanie uh, Cook that works with us. She's from Toronto as well. Awesome, man. So tell me, um, how, did you, how did you get in? I mean, you do a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't even know where to start. What, how did you get your start in art in general? Like when you were a little kid, when did, when did you realize you wanted to be an artist? Uh, I've always been drawing. I mean, funny story is, is uh, I always thought about it. In kindergarten, I, I drew a painting that was like, I don't know. I thought it was an amazing painting back then. And even the teacher, I guess, thought it was amazing. So they actually, she actually encouraged my parents to be like, yeah, you should put this kid in art school and whatnot and this and that. And, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, shit, my teacher likes it? Oh, I'm, I must be talented and whatnot. So <laughs> it gave me, I guess, the belief of, yeah, I'm good at this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep drawing, and I love it anyways, right? And my parents actually supported it because of what the teacher said. So all in all, like, um, I got into drawing through that. But when I actually look at the painting now, I'm just like, oh, that's just like any other sh shitty painting that, like, Whatever, right? But what, what was awesome is that it, it gave me that encouragement to continue drawing. So I started drawing um, at a very early age because of that situation. I always liked it, but I never knew I had any, any kind of talent towards it. So, um, yeah, I've been drawing since I was a kid, and I actually really took it up seriously uh, in college. So throughout high school, you know, I was just, I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to be a high school kid and, you know, what did, you, uh, what did you do for your senior project when you were in school? What was like your, your big to-do at the end of the semester? Yeah. Uh, we, we had to do like a design thesis um, for... The last year, they make us work on this one project, and that's it, right? So I had to do a design thesis for an underground train station that, w that would take you around. Like, it was like a radio station that, that would take you around. I, I don't even remember, man. I just remember drawing... I just remember drawing 
trains, like subway trains, and, 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 and using New York as inspiration for it. Um, I can't recollect what it was exactly for, but basically we were trying to come up with a campaign to, to sell this train station that was cool. I don't know, maybe it was like a club or something. <laughs> uh, I see you're, you're working on a, a Harley Quinn right now. Are you, are you painting? Are you inking? What, what are you working with? Uh, watercolors. Um, they're kind of like crayons that I use, like watercolor uh, crayons. What I do is I just use them as, uh, I just dab them with like my watercolor brush that I have. Right? It, has, it has like a reservoir where you can keep water in. And I just, I just lay it on. Watercolors and I, I, I go back with like these white uh, bleed proof um, paints. PH Martin bleed proof white. Yeah, that's it. So I use that for highlights and whatnot. Very cool, man. I mean, you got, I've been, I've been looking at your covers for a while now, and you've got a really wild, almost like metaphysical style to, to the way, do you, do you, did you have any influences uh, on your style, or is it all you, like 100%? Oh, there's definitely a lot of inspiration, like, throughout the years that I've been trying to, like, work on my craft. Um, one of my biggest influences is uh, Rockwell. Um, Chris Bacolo, uh James Jean, Humberto Ramos. There's a ton of them, man. And it's hard to name them all because I'd like go down like a line of like 50 artists. But my my my, my first inspiration was Wils, Wils Portacio, right? Just because like he was a Filipino artist and I'm a Filipino artist. And when you're a kid, you're just like, oh shoot, all right, he's he's Filipino. I, I, I guess I could do this too, right? So he was the biggest inspiration, and he was also amazing at what he was doing. So. Wills Portacio and like Mark Silvestri, Rob Liefeld, and Jim Lee, all those dudes from the 90s really started me off drawing comics and whatnot. But my bigger influences was those dudes that I named. Leyendecker, um, and then I, I go into like graph design because I, I, I went to school for design and my trade was design. So all those other, all those uh, graphic artists too, I'm very influenced by. Especially um, for X-Men Legacy, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but when I was working on it, I was I was really into uh, George Lois's uh, art. Um, so I was influenced in, ter in terms of like the way he thought, like his thinking process um, with his uh, with the co the magazine covers that he did. So a lot of that is like influenced by like um, George Lois too. That's really cool, man. <laughs> Look at George Lois; he's a genius too. So. What do you uh, like? What's on the What's on the horizon for you? What are you doing next, or what's like upcoming that we don't know about yet? Um, that you're allowed to talk about. <laughs> well, I just finished Superior Team Up number three and four, so those are the interiors that I did. Uh, Legacy is should be ongoing. Um, I'm I'm doing covers for a Disney project. It's called uh, Seekers of the Weird. It's the first Marvel. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about that on the show last Wednesday. Yeah. You're doing covers for it? Ooh, nice. So they just released the first cover, so you guys can check that out. I'm um, working on a second cover right now. And what's the other one? Yeah, Dexter. They're, they're continuing Dexter, so I'll be doing the cover work. Oh, they're continuing beyond the, the, the limited run? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll be working with Zeb Wells on a, on a new book. And I think they're releasing the book title today or tomorrow. So I can't really say anything now, but they teased like the assassin kind of teaser. So you you, you can kind of get what we're working on. But 
All right, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking back to the, the Disney book. Did you, the cover with the kid like swinging from the pendulum, that was you? Oh, it's odd. Yeah, I looked at that the other day. I thought it was yours, but I couldn't. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, with every cover I work on, I kind of work in different styles, um, depending on, uh, you know, the subject matter. So a lot of times, no one really recognizes that I've done it just because it's different from whatever I'm doing on Legacy or whatever I'm doing on in Dexter. I kind of like that, too, and that I'm able to, like, just, they, they let me do that, so... That's probably why you didn't recognize the art. But. That sounds good, man. It's, it's really cool that you switch up your style for, you know, especially, I mean, could, and can you tell us anything about that book that we don't know? Have you seen the interior artist yet? I am the interior artist. Oh, you are the interior artist. I'm doing the covers and the interiors, and it's for the next phase of Marvel now. How many issues are you doing of that? Um, until, they, until, I, uh, until I get burnt out, I guess. <laughs> so that's like, as of right now, like that's your series? Yeah, me and Zeb Wells will be working on that um, as of now, yeah. Holy shit. It'll be exciting, man. Um, I'm going to be trying to combine what I, what I did with X-Men Legacy, like the cover that I did for X-Men Legacy, um, the style, like the painted style, and also combine that with the style that I've been doing for Superior Teemo, um, which is like an animated style. So I'm going to try to... What, however Zeb um, transitions like the story, I, I'll try to figure out a way to tell the story through different styles and I got a lot of visual ideas because the character for that book um, there's a lot of things to exploit in terms of her costume and you know the color of her costume so it's female so. <laughs> now let me let me ask you this question because we've always wondered about this Legion and his hair and these covers do you have like a running list of things that you're going to do with it or you just come up with it on the fly because every cover has like a new and creative way of dealing with his giant hair well that's what's amazing about the character is like I was able like it's like w w what can I do with Legion and, and, and that's like his main trademark so I was really able to exploit that hair and and, and go wild with it. Um, we had a ton of ideas for, for his hair, but we found that it, it might have got too repetitive, that we're focusing too much on his hair and, and not focusing on the story. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely had a lot of funny other, other things. I mean, I might release, like, all the other ideas and concepts that we had. Like the artist floor edition kind of thing? And we had, like, um, I think for an issue where he went to Brit... Are you familiar with, like... X-Men Legacy? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I've been reading it. When he went to Britain, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we had, I had, like, um, I had the idea of, like, uh, you know, like, the, the British uh, soldiers yeah. with the, the hat. The, the oh, right, right, right. The, the guys that stand in front of, like, Buckingham Palace? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we were going to have Legion as one of those guys. <laughs> and the hair, you know, it just fits totally into that, that hat, right? So... So we had things like that. I had things where, um, you know, uh, his personalities were kind of giving him a hairdo. So you had, like, arms coming out of his hair from all over the place, you know, giving him, like, hairspray and whatnot. So we want, I also wanted to do that, like, focus on, okay, what, how does he keep his hair up, right? So we had, like, an idea of showing that, too. But, you know, maybe it'll come out in the near future, but right now it's, it's, it's in a vault. That's, that's awesome, dude. Do you, uh, let me ask you this. Of all the X-Men Legacy covers that you've done, do you have a favorite? Uh, I, have, I can't pick one, 
But yeah, number five, which is that one there, mm -hmm. it, it's one of my favorites because I was just able to like draw all these cool characters, you know, that like I, I, I got away with. And I, I wouldn't be able to do that on a, on a lot of other Marvel covers. So um, being able to do cool characters and and I think this this cover, which is number six, with all the with the, all the bubbles, um, that was cool too because I was be, I was able to use like references from like songs, some of my favorite like songs, and put them into like put them into the cover, and it actually worked well with like explaining his his psyche basically. Yeah. All right, you mentioned songs, so I've been I've been asking a lot of the artists around Artist Alley when you're creating, when you're drawing and painting and doing all your stuff. What do you What do you like to listen to? Like, what what music inspires you to, to create your art? Um, it's funny. I mean, I a lot of times. I mean, if it's like a fight scene or whatever, which I don't get a lot. Like, I'll, I'll listen to a lot of aggressive music, but um, but most of the time, I listen to a lot of cinematic kind of feel music, like. Like movie scores and stuff? Movie scores. I, I don't actually listen to movie scores. Uh, sometimes I'll grab a score here and there. But a lot of the music these days have that feel to it anyways, like that airy, you know, movie score feel. So a lot of the music I listen to is, um, it's, it's got to have that subtle kind of movie score feel to it. And I do listen, I always listen to music when I draw comics. It, it just puts me in that mood, you know what I mean? Uh, speaking of music and atmosphere, have you ever heard of the band Fleet Foxes? Yes. Uh, Helplessness Blues. Have you heard that yet? No, I haven't. You need to get that album. You need to get that album and and put that on. That'll help me. They're a very. It's a. It's a small band that has a tremendous presence on on album, and they've got that like wherever you're listening to them, it sounds like you're in like a giant field, and they're they're playing in the center of it. And it's just reaching out like all throughout. It's crazy. That's awesome. It's really good stuff. Definitely, I'll definitely check that out, man. Because I'm always searching for new music. I get bored really fast. You know how, you know how music is now, right? It's like I my my thing with music. I keep telling people you've got to actually work for it these days. You got to go out and find it for yourself. Uh, I every week I'm constantly looking for new stuff, and yeah. But I know I get about. It feels like that. I mean, like it used to be where I'd buy a cassette tape or like a CD, and I would cherish that song for like, you know, you know. You get bored of it after a while, but like, you know, it lasts like two weeks of like, yeah, this is like that good feeling, right? But now it's like, oh man, I love that song and I'm going to listen to that song all the time. And then I listen, I listen to it on repeat, you know what I mean? Like I do, I do listen to songs on repeat a lot. So like if I'm working on a cover, sometimes it'll be like, if it's a song I really like, it'll be on repeat for like that whole like three, four hours, right? And you think that it's going to last forever, but like after two days, you're kind of like, oh man. It's not the same anymore, so I'm always searching for songs and always searching for something new, just to keep it new for myself. We got to get you a Dropbox account, man, so you could just get some new albums every other every other day. Uh, yeah. If you have one. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, we. Yeah, we should do that. All right. Um, I guess we'll wrap this up for now. Um, thank you so much for for talking with us. Uh, this has been Mike Del Mundo. You can see his art on the covers of X Men Legacy, inside the interiors of. Spider-Man team up. I got it this time. And uh, the new Disney series from Marvel. They just released, I think it was in September, they released a Once Upon a Time graphic novel. Oh, okay. Uh, it was an anthology with a bunch of artists. And um, that was actually my first 22 pages. So check it out. I was pretty pr proud of that. Very cool. Uh, why don't you, uh, before we go, tell everybody like where they can get in touch with you, where they can see your work. Uh, my Twitter account is at uh, Deadly Mike. Uh, you can check out 
my website, www.delidelmundo.com. Um, my Tumblr is, I think it's, just look up Mike Delmundo <laughs> Tumblr on Google and look for that, man. I can't remember. And, uh, yeah, those are, the, check it out, man. All right, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Steve Say, TalkingComicBooks.com. We'll be bringing you more coverage from New York City Comic Con, Artist Alley, the main floor, and beyond. Talk to you guys in a little bit. All right, Bobby here with Talking Comics, and we're back with Rebecca Isaacs at the Dark Horse booth. Rebecca, how is Hi. your comic going so far? It's going great. I mean, busy as always, but it's really fun. Yeah. Big announcement. Lots of fans. Yeah, Big announcement yeah. at the con. You are going to be um, doing the art on the mainline Buffy Season 10 book, yes, right? Yes, that's right. So how do you feel about that? Uh, it's bittersweet. You know, I, I loved working on Angel and Faith. I love those two characters and the, the, the additional characters that we brought in, like uh, Giles' aunts. Mm. And um, so I, I hate to be leaving them, but at the same time, I always wanted to take a stab at drawing all the Scoobies and Buffy herself. And, um, and it's a different feel. So, you know, there, there's more of a comedic element. It's a little more lighthearted. Uh, so it'll be a really... I'll still be able to, to stretch out a little bit and try some new things um, but at the same time I have my security blanket of working with my favorite writer Christos Gage and we're staying with uh, the, our amazing colorist Dan Jackson and Steve Morris is our fa just fantastic cover artist so it's uh, you know I'm, I'm excited but it's it'll definitely be an adjustment. <laughs> so how was the uh, how was the reception been to Angel and Faith or I guess to, in past tense now how was it to Angel and Faith? I, I couldn't believe how great it was. I mean, obviously, I loved the book, but I knew that we were, um, we were. It was kind of going to be an uphill battle because it was a smaller book. Um, you know, Angel had been going on for so long at another company that I think a lot of people are still unaware that he was brought into Dark Horse and that his story was beginning to run alongside the Buffy story. Um, so I think that people people are still just being introduced to it and still just finding out that it exists. Um, but the fans that we did have were were really amazing and they they loved the series and were so supportive of it and so excited and you know felt we we kept hearing all the time that it felt like the tv show which is the biggest compliment that we could ever receive um so i was really glad that people that for the most part everyone loved it as much as i did mm -hmm. we all did yeah so uh what characters are you most looking forward to to bringing to life in in buffy oh man um well i'm i'm I am excited but also trepidatious about um, having another try at Spike because I did get to draw him for a few issues in Angel and Faith and I I honestly was not happy with the job that I did on him. <laughs> so, but this time I know that I've gotten a lot better. Um, I think that, you know, even his story arc is is really incredible. So we've got the total package for him this year and I'm, I'm excited to be able to do him justice. Um, but as far as the characters that I haven't drawn at all yet, I'm really excited to draw Xander. Um, I love him. I, I love his character. I love drawing his face because he has this amazing, like, very cartoony, very expressive face. And so it's really fun to draw. You, you, you sound, obviously, you're very passionate about, about mm -hmm. the Buffy-verse, the, the Whedon-verse. Um, were you a fan before you started doing the books? And was there a, then an extra pressure if you were a fan of going into it? Uh, no, I actually hadn't seen any of the series beforehand. Um, well, I take that back. I'd seen a little bit. Uh, my friend was a huge Buffy fan, and um, and he was trying to get me into the series. I was maybe stuck halfway through season one, and I think a lot of people have 
that feeling about season one that it's maybe a little slow moving. Yeah. You know, they were they were just starting to get their their sea legs, mm-hmm. and um, so once I got the job, then I started really pushing myself to finish season one, and move on. And once I hit season two, I was so addicted to it. I mean, it's it's a fantastic show. You can't help but become hooked on it once you really get into it. Yeah. So can you give us any hints of what's what's coming in uh, Buffy season ten? Ooh, well. You know, I, <laughs> I've gotten into so much trouble for spilling things before. <laughs> I honestly don't know that I can. Um, besides that, you know, what I, what I said before, that we, we've got, uh, I think we've got a really great arc plan for Spike. Um, so, you know, Spike, Spike fans will be really happy with that, I think. And um, um, I don't know. We're, we're going to see... We'll definitely see some characters coming back from season eight who you might not have expected to see again, and that's all I feel comfortable okay. saying. <laughs> um, so you know, you, you've worked with the same writer for a while now. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship like with Christos? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, he's. Um, I feel like it's it's so rare and um, and incredible to form that kind of uh, bond with a writer where you just get each other without even having to really explain that much or tell that much in the script. And um, so, you know, I wanted to, I definitely wanted to hold onto that as much as I could. So when we got to the end of the season and they asked me what I'd like to do, um, I, my main goal was just to go wherever Christos wanted to go, like whatever he wanted to write, that's what I wanted to draw. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love that he he writes really amazing, emotive scripts, but that he also uh, allows the the art to breathe. Um, you know, he, he doesn't really try to micromanage a lot or, or tell the artist what to do. He's, he's very trusting of his artists. Um, you know, he, what he really brings is that the emotional connection between the characters and his dialogue is so fantastic. And um, so, you know, reading it, you feel like, you're watching the show, even just reading the script. Awesome, awesome. So, um, anything else you got coming up other than the the, the Buffy verse stuff? Um, no, I'm. Uh, I'll be doing that for about the next two and a half years, and wow. that'll be the continue to be my life. All right. Well, you sound excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was, thank you so much, Rebecca Isaacs, for talking to us on Talking Comics. Thank you. All right. Have a great rest of your show. What's up, everybody? Steve Say for TalkingComicBooks.com. Sitting down here in Artist Alley with Jeff DeKale. He is the cover artist for the Catherine Eminen Journey into Mystery uh, covers, the run that had just ended. Beautiful, beautiful book. And uh, how you doing, man? Doing great. I feel like deja vu, like we just did this, and I screwed up the tape. Anyway, um, let's, uh, let me ask you this. How did you get started in comics? Um, I mean, I always loved them as a kid. Um, I always just wanted to draw and stuff, but I was at Supercon, which is uh, the, pretty much the biggest uh, comic convention in Miami. Uh, pr- really, Florida, I'm pretty sure. Um, and uh, there was an editor there, Lauren Sankovich, and she was doing portfolio reviews. And I figured, what the hell, I'm going to go show her my stuff. And she liked it and emailed me a couple weeks later for the covers. But that sounds really easy, but that, you know, I've been working my ass off for years, you know, to get where I'm at for her to like my work. So, um, so that, that's how it happened, though. And what about your work outside the covers? Have you done any interior art or do you have any other projects that you're working on? Um, I, I don't do interiors. I, I do a lot of freelance stuff. I, I do album covers. Um, 
Uh, I do illustrations for a couple of uh, news, newsletters and publications. Um, you know, I'm just freelance artists. Um, but those Journey to Mystery covers were, that's all I've done in comics until about a week ago. Um, I did a Superior Spider-Man cover that will be coming out, I don't know, uh, probably in a couple months because they always want the covers done before, you know, a couple months prior. But it's the, it's the, I'm pretty sure it's the Superior Spider-Man Inhumanity one. Um, you know, it's, they're starting this Inhumanity thing. So I was super excited to do that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that on the racks and everything. Awesome, man. Now, do you do, do, you do digital art or do you work with like, pen and ink or paints? I, I do it all, but for my covers, I pretty much do them usually all digital just because of the time frame. Sometimes I'll, I'll pencil them and scan them and then, and then basically paint over them in Photoshop, but um, mostly digital painting with some pencil stuff. Nice. Do you uh, do you read comics in your spare time? Are you are you reading any right now? Um, I, n- I don't read any of the new ones, but I do um, Scarlet by Alex Maleev and Bendis. I, I love uh, Alex Maleev. Um, anything Isad Ribich. It's it's more about the artist for me than the writer. I mean, obviously the writing needs to hold me, but um, if I'm gonna buy and follow a book, it uh, it's got to be an artist that I that I love, man. So. Um, I, I, you know, I, I read a lot of the old. I got, I got a lot of old stuff. I just kind of research artists that I like and then go get all their old stuff. But nothing really current so much. Who, uh, who are some of those favorite artists that you that you like to collect? Uh, like I said, Alex Malev, Esad um, Ribic, um, Jorge Molina. Um, oh man, I'm blanking over here. It's like walking into a into a music store and somebody telling you to go pick out a CD, and then all of a sudden you don't know what you like anymore. Yeah, uh, Gabriel Del Oto, I, I love him, and, um, you know, I, I, Alex Ross, just because he's, like, so classic. Um, um, Kent, Kent Williams' old stuff, he doesn't do comics anymore, but his old stuff um, is great. Um, Victor Kalvachev, he does Blue Estate, um, I'm a big fan of him. Um, um, I guess I'll just end it there. Oh, oh, Marco Djordjevic. He's like number one for me. I'm glad I didn't forget him, man. But uh, I'll just I'll, I'll end it off there, man. Were you uh, were you familiar with the character of Sif before you jumped onto the Journey into Mystery uh, covers? It's funny. I I wasn't, but like when they when my editor told me about it, I mean I had seen the Thor movie. So I, so when she told me who it was, then I was like it was like an aha, it was like an aha moment. So like I didn't really know who she was, but then I was like, oh, she was in the movie. She was one of the Asgardians that came and helped him in that movie so so that's I know I kind of put two and two together but I've very much familiarized myself with her since you know obviously what did you uh what what did you think of the uh Catherine Eminem run I thought it was great I thought it was great I thought it was like uh balance between kind of witty comical versus adventurous and then um Valerio Shidi who did the interiors just did a phenomenal job um I thought it was great I was super proud to be part of it very cool, man. Now, if you were, let's say, let's say the Marvel or anybody really, let's say any company, you have your choice of doing any covers for any comic, that any character, who would you choose? Um, man, I, I get asked that all the time, and I, I don't like. I, I've always had thing for X Men. You know, I love like Phoenix. Like, I wish like they just give Dark Phoenix like her own book, man. I I love her. Um, um, you know, anything where it's kind of this like lone warrior on a mission kind of thing is that's that's kind of what I like. Um, but you know, I, you know, I love the Dark Phoenix, Jean Grey. Um, 
X23, anything, anybody with like a dark kind of past is, I kind of, I kind of like that, you know, so, yeah. Nice. Are you, uh, are you looking forward to anything particular here at the con, or are you just here to hang out and, and, and talk to fans and stuff like that? Um, I'm here to, to do everything that someone in my profession does, uh, commissions, talk to fans, uh, I, I bought some work. Oh, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, I gotta include him for the, my favorite artist thing. I, I actually, I bought a sketch from him. Bought a sketch from Alex Malib. So I'm here as a fan. I'm here as a professional. I'm here as as everything. You know. How many uh, have you conned before? Is this your, is this your first one? Have you done many of these? No, um, I went to New York. I went to this convention two years ago. I did not have my own table. Uh, I shared a table with some guys that I did covers for Creature Entertainment. I, I have to shout them out. Um, CreatureEntertainment.com. You could go see all their books there. Um, so I was here two years ago. This is my first year that I have my own table here. But I've I've done a lot of conventions. I've done I've, I've done a bunch of conventions in the past like th- uh, three years. I want to say I do them. I do pretty much every all of them in Florida. Uh, I did Tampa. I do SuperCon. I did MegaCon. Um, you know. So no. I mean I've, I've I've been doing them for a few years. What would you What would you say is your your favorite aspect of these events? Um, I mean, up until I did, I did them before I got the Journey into Mystery stuff, but uh, since I did the Journey stuff, it's kind of crazy to that people kind of recognize me and everything, especially like when I'm out of state and people bring the books to me to sign, which is crazy for me, you know, because, you know, I'm not like a veteran in the industry. I'm kind of just breaking in, so that's really cool. And um, just just people paying money for my art, you know, it's just, I always just appreciate that, you know. Awesome. Have you ever wanted to do interiors for a book? Would you Would you be up for that? I, I've I've never done them before, and if I did, I, I would want to do maybe my own kind of short story before I did something for a big publisher. Um, so yeah. you have any ideas for something creator creator owned? Nothing specific, just vague stuff. I'd wanted to kind of have something to do with my life or something, kind of like turn something that happened to me into you know kind of take a character and have him play me as and turn it into something uh you know uh uncanny or whatever you know so but nothing nothing uh nothing uh concrete right now it sounds pretty cool man um all right so why don't you uh tell everybody where they can find you online and whatnot twitter websites what do you got uh, jeffdecal.com, J-E-F-F-D-E-K-A-L.com. Then Twitter and Instagram is just jdecal, the letter J. Um, and yeah, I mean, everything's there. All right, right on, man. Uh, so this has been Jeff Decal, Steve Say for TalkingComicBooks.com. Uh, we'll be bringing you more artists from Artist Alley at New York City Comic Con 2013. Hang in there, guys. All right, we're back here at the Dark Horse booth. We're here with Sean Simon and uh, Becky Clunan. Uh, Craters, the fabulous Killjoys, along with Gerard Way, obviously. Right. How are you guys? How's your con going so far? Uh, it's going really good. Yeah. Yeah, I had a table out in Artist Alley. Um, I'm just getting over a cold, so kind of a sore throat. But it's other than that, it's it's fun. Yeah. How you doing? Good, man. It's, it's very crowded. You yeah, know? yeah. It's extremely crowded. It's hard to get around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It's funny. On Thursday, it takes you about like. Five minutes to get from Artist Alley, probably up here. Right. Now it's like at least 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, to get absolutely. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Um, so, how has the reception been to Fabulous School Joys on your end? From us? Yeah, from you guys. Like how, what is the, how the fans have been saying to you guys about uh, True Lies of the Fabulous School We've been Joys? getting a great response. Yeah. It's, been, it's been awesome, you know, especially for, for being this long mm-hmm. since it's been announced until finally coming out. Yeah, it's been very positive. 
awesome, awesome. You know? Yeah, that was like the, I was really scared because it's been so long and everyone's like anticipating it and anticipating it. And then it's like when the first issue was coming out, I couldn't sleep that night. I had like the worst anxiety. I was like, everybody's going to hate it. And, uh. But no, it's, it's been good. So first issue, that was the, the most nerve wracking. Awesome, awesome. So what, what has it been like? Obviously, it's, a, it's doing content, right? Because it's kind of it's inspired by the music, you know, um, but it's not exactly, it's not, like, it's not like a concept of the actual record, you know, it's got its own thing going on. What is it like kind of taking that inspiration and going from there? First of all, on the art side and then on the writing side. Um, well, it was like a, the comic, was five years ago when you guys thought of it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like yeah. five years ago. Um, and then they announced it at, Dar it's like 2009 at San Diego. Was it 2000? Yeah, I keep thinking yeah. about it. I don't remember. It's been so long. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and then it was it got turned into the album, and oh, then it got turned into the music videos, and now it's back to being the comic. So I feel like um, the the comic as we know it now, if it didn't have those five years to kind of marinate and then evolve into different you know different mediums, it would have been a totally different comic than what we have right now. So what we have is like a continuation of all that, and it's been informed by the videos and the music, and you know, I'm trying to like, you know, I'll go in and watch the videos and like pause it at crazy scenes to see what's in the background and try to draw that stuff in. So there's a lot of like Easter eggs in there for people who are like really into, you know, big fans of the band and big yeah. fans of the world that they created, like the world building aspect of it. Right. Um, but then also we try to make it so that if you're not familiar with it, you can pick it up and still enjoy the story, but you know the you know there's different like levels it's like yeah. an onion yeah <laughs> so it's interesting you see you know we, we started the site we're doing only a couple of years ago and i have not i've really relatively new to being engrossed in the comic book world so i didn't even know that it was because it's a comic and then then came to the album right so what was that like for you you know as a co-writer as a co-creator the journey that it's taken in these, in these preceding years um, it, like you know, like Becky said, it was a totally different concept. I mean, a lot of the themes were there, a lot of the um, uh, the ideas and the characters were there. Um, it was a different story. Um, so then, after the, you know, like Becky said, the the record, the comic influenced the record, and then the record influenced ultimately the comic. So it was this cool kind of um, this cool progression, you know. Um, so that that's it, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh so, and pre Becky, uh, you know, at your table in Artist Alley, you have all these great, like, uh, you know, mini comics and comics and stuff. Um, um, I sold out. You sold out. They're gone. That, well, you could have answered my question about that. So yeah. I guess the reaction has been very good to those things. Yeah, um, yeah. No, they, they fly, you know. Uh, I, I, there's been a really good response to those. Yeah. So I kind of just made the first one because I, um, I was trying to practice my writing. Uh, a little self-conscious about it, and then it just kind of spiraled out of control. And <laughs> now, yeah. now I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> They've taken over. So, <laughs> and you, you you release them on Comicsology Submit as right. well. How's oh, the response great. been there? The submit stuff is crazy. Yeah. Those guys have been really good at like helping to promote my stuff too. Um, they, I mean, it, the fact that it's so accessible, I never, I knew getting it into that you know into people's hands like it, it would reach so many more people than I could ever and, and I don't really know anything about the digital market so it's all new to me I mean, they're kind of just holding my hand and walking right. me through it yeah. but it's like the the numbers for Comixology Submit have been crazy awesome crazy that's great to hear yeah and I mean I, I I'm in a position right now too where I can um, 
direct people to it, and like if you know if I send out a tweet, like a x many people will see it. And, right. You know, so I, I'm, I think I'm kind of lucky in that yeah. sense that I've Absolutely. I've hit it at a right at the right time. Yeah. But they, yeah. I have nothing but good things to say about those guys. They've awesome. been really helpful. Awesome. Yeah. What else have you been working on, Sean? What are you, what are you doing? I have stuff where I'm working on right now. Nothing I could talk about right okay. yet. All right. But there is stuff in the works right now. So it's a good start for me, Killjoys, you know? Yeah, it's pretty good, yeah. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's it, I guess, for, for you guys in Talking Comics. Um, thank you guys so much for, for talking to us, yeah. taking some time out of this yeah, thank you. crazy, busy day. Thank and you, uh, man. Pick up True Lies the Fabulous Killjoys, and it's a great book. Yeah. All right, see you guys later. Thanks, man. Hey, everybody, what's going on? It's uh, Steve Say for TalkingComicBooks.com, and I'm here in Artist Alley talking with Stephanie Hans. She is an artist. She was the artist for many of the Journey into Mystery covers from the Karen Gillan run when Loki was in charge of uh, the series. And also, she's been featured recently in Fearless Defenders number 7, where she did the entire issue. It was gorgeous. You should all go check it out. Uh, she's got all manner of artistry contraptions that she's pulling out of her little gorilla bag of stuff. So how are you, Stephanie? How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I just love to be there. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I just love to be in the New York convention. You know, it's just such a nice place to be. Excellent. So how did you, how did you arrive? Where did you come in from? Oh, actually, I'm coming straight from Berlin. Well, I live there now, but I'm French. Oh, I got that. I heard the voila when the chair appeared in front of me. Yeah, somebody told me that I, ha I have a French accent. I don't know if it's rude. So why don't you, um, let me ask you this, because I, I want to know, uh, what's next for you? What, are you? what are you doing now after Fearless Defenders? What's up, what's up with your schedule now? Uh, actually, I'm supposed to be working right now on the next uh, Superior Spider-Man watch out. So, uh, it's supposed to be on store, like, maybe next month in two months i'm supposed to be uh finished in the 11th of november really so you're you're doing the art for a superior spider-man issue suddenly <laughs> i still don't have the script oh, <laughs> oh okay so it's, it's it's you're going to be doing it though yeah exactly right now i'm waiting that's awesome that's i'm i'm super psyched for that so tell me how did you get your start in art uh in art in general or for my yeah, from when, from when you were little. Like, where did it start for you? How did you discover that this was what you wanted to do? That's a long way to go. Um, basically, uh, I always say that every, every child draws, but most of the children find another way to express themselves, and some don't. So I'm the child that didn't. And I basically always draw. Uh, I've been in an art school after graduated, you know, and I spent five years there. I can tell that it was very helpful, but I still did. And after that, I did um, graphic novels for French markets, a few of them. And when, actually, when the first graphic novels went on store, um, my work got spotted for um, young adult um, cover arts for literature. So I started doing a lot of cover art for uh, most of the mainstream uh, young adult literature publishers. Um, you know, it helped because I had a full book of cover art and the talent schools for Marvel saw it at the moment and it, it kept it. 
That's awesome. How did you get How did you get hooked up with the Journey into Mystery series? How did you How did you wind up doing um, the? I guess did you do all the covers or the majority of them? I think I did almost all the covers. Like it was all of them minus two or something. Because uh, in the next the the next oh the next the very last issues. Um, there was two of them that I didn't do because I was doing the interiors. So it was like one of the first time I was doing interiors for Marvel and they weren't very, you know, confident in uh, me doing several stuff at the same time, I guess. <laughs> so uh, I just focused on doing the interiors. That's well, the, the covers, and, and I've, I've seen the interiors, they're, they're all gorgeous. Uh, what is your, like, what materials do you use? It looks like you use a lot of paints. I use a Wacom graphic tablet, <laughs> mostly. Oh, you do? Okay, so you use, like, you use digital a lot? Yeah, uh, it's mostly digital. Sometimes I do a bit of it on traditional art, but it's not, never all the, the the stuff, the, the thing. Uh, I'm, I'm way better in creating something on a screen because it's, it's a bit stupid, but when I draw on paper, I always forget the, the frame. And the frame is really part of a composition, especially if you're doing cover art. So do, uh, when I draw on a fixed frame on the screen, I cannot forget it because, you know, I cannot draw uh, over it. Right? <laughs> So, or beyond it, sorry. Uh, so it's easier for me to be good in composition when I draw, uh, draw di directly on, on the screen. And I don't get distracted by my hand in front of my drawing. Right, right. Do you have, are you reading any comics right now? Do you have any favorite comic characters? Oh, uh, right now, I'm, I'm uh, kind of, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay, take your time. Um, I've been reading a bit uh, the Unwritten. I love it a lot. Uh, the uh, it's from which one was that? The Unwritten. Oh yes, yes, yes. I haven't. Um, one of our one of our co-hosts actually just uh, read that and got really into it. I haven't read it yet though. You like it? Yeah, it's fantastic. Actually, um, in comic books, I'm always fascinated when it's related to um, um, literature. You know, and. It, it, that's the point of that kind of a series. You have a heavy load of literature. Right. Are you a fan of uh, fables and Ferris? Of course I am. <laughs> I just talked uh, to uh, Adam Hughes. I was like, oh, I love so much your work in Ferris. Okay, I'm, I'm a dork. <laughs> I, th I think a lot of people are, he's getting that from a lot of people uh, at this convention. So there's entirely too much talent in this giant room. Too much? Never too much. That's true. Never. I stand corrected. <laughs> so, who is? All right. Let me ask you this: Who is? Who's been your favorite character to draw while doing the, the journey into mystery stuff? And, and who was your favorite uh, while you were doing Fearless Defenders as well? Oh, I just in Fearless Defender, uh, I just loved to draw Valkyrie. So that was the good, the good issue for me. You know, girls in armors, even if it's not accurate armor, it's still cool. And Forest. And in Journey into Mystery, I think, I was a huge fan of Leah. I always say that uh, in comic books, there are a lot of, um, uh, how do you say that? Um, 
you know, pre-made characters, and Lia is its own archetype. You know, it doesn't refer to anything I've seen before. So, I think it was really a fantastic character. Yeah, I uh, I nearly broke down when there there's there's a particular turn in Lia's character that people that have read the series they know about it. It was uh, it was heartbreaking. I hope she'll be back. Like I, I saw that she was uh, appearing in Young Avengers. So yes, yeah, she shows up. So they're not done with her yet. Yeah, I hope so. Do you uh, are you a fan of music? Do you listen to music when you when you draw at all? Yeah, but that won't ring a bell. I always listen to uh, what they call uh, Nouvelle Scène Française. It's you know very acoustic French songs with a lot of lyrics that makes a fun of everything in in life. You know, uh, really, it's only in France. It's only in France. We don't get it here. Nobody's got it anywhere. I don't know why we always like to make fun of everything in songs. Like it, it's not even really easy to listen, but it's always funny. I, I'm listening to that when I draw and I laugh. It's, it sounds good to me if you like it and it, it inspires you to create something. It can't be bad. <laughs> so let me ask you one last question. If uh, you were given the opportunity to do something creator-owned where you can, you can just make your own comic book series, do you have any idea what that would be? Actually, I was a writer before being an artist. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, so I have a lot of stories that are w actually waiting to be drawn. Uh, I have one that I'm currently working on. It's based on a lot on mythology, uh, Hindu mythology. So I cannot say a lot about it because it's it's still very, you know. Uh, I don't know the word in English. Sometimes. Have you ever read uh, the book Habibi by Craig Thompson? I've seen it, but I didn't read it yet. But I will. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. If that's in the direction that you're going, you want something that's very cultural, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think it's not that cultural. It's heavy loaded with culture, but it's really entertainment. So. Excellent. All right. Well, I will let you get back to, to work here currently. Where, uh, actually, what character are you drawing right now? Uh, it's Gwen Stacy. It is Gwen Stacy. How did I not know that? It looks good. Because it's still black and white. Yeah. I'll, take a, I'll take a photo of it and show it to everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this is Steve Say for TalkingComicBooks.com. We've been talking with Stephanie Hans. You can check out her work on the covers of uh, Journey into Mystery of the, of the Kieran Gillen run, as well as her spot in Fearless Defenders number 7, and look for her, apparently, in Superior Spider-Man in the very near future, as well as other comics, hopefully. Uh, thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us, and I hope you have a great time at the con. Thank you for seeing me. I'm on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. Like, if you don't look for me. Yeah, why don't you tell, why don't you tell everybody before we go where they can get in touch with you? <laughs> yeah, but uh, actually, we, I cannot say it in English because it doesn't make any sense. It's grand de pluie. <laughs> it's French. How about at Stephanie Hans on Twitter? Yeah, exactly. All right, that works. <laughs> All right, talk to you later, guys. How about those guys? Uh, awesome, awesome job. Um, but because we're talking comics, we could not leave the writers totally out. So uh, we do a little block here coming up for you guys. Uh, two interviews, one with uh, Vivek Tiwari, the writer on The Fifth Beetle, and the other one with Ed Brisson, who wrote Comeback and is currently writing Sheltered, 
for Image. All right, we're back here at Talking Comics. Um, we're here with Vivek Tiwari. That's it, perfect. I got it right, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Thanks. So, uh, um, so we're here to talk about The Fifth Beetle. Yeah. Uh, the Brian Epstein story. That's correct? it, yeah. Um, so, you know, people out there don't know, tell us about what The Fifth Beetle is. Yeah, so The Fifth Beetle is based on the life of Brian Epstein, who was the Beatles' manager. Uh, Brian discovered the Beatles when they were not even the most popular band in Liverpool. Uh, they were a relatively popular Liverpool band, um, playing small clubs, playing the Cavern, playing the Casbah, and uh, he had a real vision for them. He saw a band that could be beloved by the entire world, and he ran around saying, uh, I think the Beatles are going to be bigger than Elvis, uh, which at the time was a ludicrous thing to say. Uh, he was also gay and Jewish and from Liverpool. And in the 1960s, those were three significant obstacles. It was a felony to be gay. He would literally have been thrown in jail if his sexuality came to light. Uh, there was still quite a bit of anti-Semitism in the United Kingdom. And finally, Liverpool was a, an important port town, but there was nothing cultural going on there. So for this gay Jewish man from Liverpool to run around saying, I found a local band and uh, they're going to be bigger than Elvis, it was laughable. Mm -hmm. He was the ultimate outsider chasing what seemed to be an impossible dream. And obviously he was right. right. And every record label passed on them. He, so it was a dream that was very difficult to chase. So it's an incredibly inspiring story. Uh, it's, a, it's also a, a sad story. He died at the age of 32, having brought the, band, the world a, a, a band whose message was all about love. And he died quite lonely, never having, having had a boyfriend himself. So it's... Um, it's an inspiring human story, it's a cautionary tale, and it's also a great Beatles story. It's an unknown Beatles story. You know, it, uh, there's a, for people who don't, uh, you know, a lot of the Brian Epstein story has never been told before. M much of my research was done through interviews. So if you're a Beatles fan, you're, you're in for a special treat uh, with, you know, some of, the, some of the insider stories about what he did for the band. But it's not just a Beatles story. It's really an inspiring human story for, for the way I put it is for anyone who's ever wanted to chase a dream. Right. So you are, you a, are you a big Beatles fan yourself? How did you come to write uh, The Fifth Beatle? Yeah, I am a huge Beatles fan. I grew up listening to The Beatles. My parents were huge Beatles fans, and that's, that's how I got my love of The Beatles. Um, but really, it is Brian's story. And I discovered Brian's story 21 years ago when I was in business school, uh, dreaming about being an entertainment entrepreneur. And I tend to be a little academic, so I thought if I am going to uh, be an entertainment entrepreneur, I should study the lives of some of the great entertainment industry visionaries. Uh, I thought that the Beatles and Brian were the team that wrote and then rewrote the rules of the pop music business. Uh, so that, that's what led me to a study of Brian Epstein. Um, part of why I, I said I give the 21 years ago date uh, is to, to, sh to point out that 21 years ago there was no Wikipedia, there was no YouTube, there were none of these online resources that we have today. And, and as an aside, a lot of those online resources are, are not, there's a lot of false information about Brian out there anyway. But 21 years ago, there was no information. Right. You know, there were and are no books about Brian Epstein in print. When The Fifth Beetle comes out on November 19th, it will be the only book, graphic novel or otherwise, about Brian in print. And so I was kind of stunned where it's like, why is it that I can find a book about John Lennon's astrologist and I can't find a book about the guy that discovered and managed the band? So it became like this little mystery to piece together stuff about Brian Epstein. And uh, what I did was I got my hands on every book that was related to the Beatles that I could find. And I began to, to pull out little clues, like, who were the people that knew Brian the best? Well, there was Nat Weiss, who was his best friend and closest confidant and the Beatles' U.S. attorney. There was Sid Bernstein, who brought the band over to the United States and was Jewish and shared that connection with Brian. There was Joanne Newfield, who's now Joanne Peterson, uh, who was one, his personal assistant and was, was one of the people who was there when they broke down the door and found Brian in his room having passed away. 
um, you know, there, there were these folks. And, and then I said, who of these people are still alive? And I tracked them down and I asked to interview them and talk to them. And I was just a young guy looking for business inspiration. A lot of them were a little wary at first, right, you know. Yeah, of course. And then when they when they met me or, or spoke to me on the phone and realized how passionate I was and that I was really just trying to, to find more information information about a guy whose life I was so inspired by, they eventually eventually were very warm and welcome and open and willing to tell to tell me amazing stories. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how I got my research done. Again, this was 21 years ago, so it was about six or seven years ago uh, after having produced A Raisin in the Sun on Broadway, and I was thinking, what's the next project I want to, want to work on? What's the next story I want to tell? And I thought, it's the Brian Epstein story. It's the story that I've accumulated a, a, a preposterous amount of information about, uh, and it's an untold story. And, and so I, I contacted all those folks again. And I said, I know when I first spoke to you, it was just about inspiration, about a, a guy that I wanted to learn more about. Well, now I want to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And they all said, great, and how else can we help? And if anyone's going to tell it, it should be you. Right. And so then I went about telling it. And, um, and when I first started to think about structure, the way the story came to me was in terms of color palette. It starts out in 1961 Liverpool, and it ends in 1967 London. Now, 1961 Liverpool, it's very dark, gray, rainy, industrial, a little depressing, if I may. Mm-hmm. And the way I thought of it was that it's very black and white. It ends in 1967 London, which is, uh, we're about to have the summer of love. It's the dawn of the psychedelic era. It's very technicolor, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so in a lot of ways, poetically, I thought of it as the, the story of the movement from black and white to technicolor. And when you think about it in those terms, that's a graphic novel and a film. Mm-hmm. It's very right. visual, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that's why I thought of doing it in those two mediums. And uh, so we've been developing both. Uh, the graphic novel just, just took on a life of its own and, and is coming out, as you know, on November yeah. 19th. So that got finished first. So the film is, is a, an adaptation of the graphic novel. But I hasten to add, we've been thinking about the film ever since the early days of the graphic right, novel. Right, so it's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not one of these projects where we made a graphic novel in order to make a film. Yeah. You know, uh, the two, the two uh, projects really do stand on their own, mm-hmm. although the film is very much an adaptation of the book. Right, right, right. So how and, did you end up coming together with Dark Horse? Yeah, so so Andrew, I found Andrew, and Andrew's uh, perfect for the book. You've seen his artwork; it's yeah. amazing. And you've you've read the book. You have, I have a PDF. Not, I, have not, I don't have a PDF of the book. No, I'll, no, I'll make sure I, you get okay, one. Right, and uh, if you flip through it, you'll see that you know we didn't we didn't quite do black and white to Technicolor, right? Um, but you know some of these early pages, you know it's it's blacks, whites, right. grays, very muted. Yeah. You know, then Brian goes to the Cavern Club, and he sees the band. You know, it's all, before he sees them, it's all these blacks, whites, grays. And then right. all of a sudden, we get a little burst of color. Yeah. You know, and uh, and then we get more color. Mm. And then, you know, we're left with more and more color. And then right. by the time you get to the end of the book, you know, you're in this oh, crazy wow. Technicolor okay, yeah. cartoon. So we really yeah. did do that. Not quite black and white to full color, right, no, but, but, but we played around I with mean, that. I mean, it's stark, the difference between the beginning and the totally. end. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Um, so, um... Oh, tell you, us about the artist. But tell us about, tell us about you Andrew. You about Dark Horse, Yeah, too, but, but let's, let's talk about Andrew first. Let's talk okay, about Andrew great, Robinson yeah. first. How did you connect with Andrew? How did yeah. you, you know, 
did you look at other artists? What, what, what was the process like? So I grew up reading comics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I often say I probably learned to read by reading comics. Okay. So even though this was my first graphic novel as a writer, I was familiar with artists just mm -hmm. as a fan, you know? And uh, I knew that picking the artist was going to be very critical. We needed to find somebody who, A, was going to be able to do this beautiful work that Andrew did, um, but also would be very collaborative because I'd never done a graphic novel before and I wanted somebody who would be a little patient with me, if you right, will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, so I'm, I actually i am on the board of directors for Valiant Entertainment, so okay. I'm, I'm a big Valiant fan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so through the folks at Valiant, I was introduced to a guy named Mark Irwin. Uh, Mark is an artist in his own right, but is also very well connected to other artists. So Mark came on board very early in the project to help me find an artist. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark at the time was also Andrew's agent. And so Andrew was actually the first person Mark introduced me to. Oh, wow. And Mark said, I'll introduce you to others if you like, yeah. but I think Andrew's going to be your guy. Yeah. And he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, first of all, his work speaks for itself. Yeah. Uh, but after meeting and sitting with Andrew, he's so passionate about this project, so emotional, so uh, down to earth and laid back very collaborative, very easy to work with uh, in that respect. And so it became clear that he's the right guy for it. So Andrew jumped on board. Uh, you, you know, um, I showed you a few of those very cartoony sequences. Yeah. There is a seven-page sequence at the back of the book that pays homage to the old Beatles cartoons from the 1960s. Mm -hmm. And for this sequence, I wanted to hire another artist so that it would be a drastic change. Right. And so um, I'm a New York guy, and uh, I've known Kyle Baker for years. Mm -hmm. Kyle... Kyle splits his time between New York and the West Coast these days, but he's a New York guy at heart. And uh, so I've known him for years, and he's, he, he, his cartoon style I thought would be perfect for this sequence. So I reached out to Kyle, and I said, uh, you know, would you be willing to do this? And I had a feeling Kyle was a big Beatles fan, and sure enough, he was. He grew up with the old Beatles cartoons. And so Kyle said, I'd love to do it. So that's how I got Kyle and Andrew on board. Um, and if you'd like, I can segue to your Dark Horse yeah, question because yeah. there is a segue yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, my background is uh, I've been working for myself for 15 years. But before that, I worked in the music industry, and I worked for major record labels, but I was always a, a big champion of DIY, of do-it-yourself. I always told bands, especially in this age of technology, where with Pro Tools, you can record an amazing demo in your basement. You can, with the internet, you can get it out there. I always tell bands, do it yourself. Don't wait for a record label to knock on your doors. Yeah. Build your own fan base. Put out your own record. Then let the record labels come to you. Mm -hmm. That's how you should do it. Yeah. In theater, where my main producing background is on Broadway, you know, with Broadway shows, you don't have studios the way you do with films who invest in, in a slate of Broadway shows. You know, each show is its own business unit. You right. know, you raise money for each show independently. So each show is kind of like its own thing. Mm. So that's the world I come from. That's what I know. So with Fifth Beetle, it's like, let me raise the money and make the book. We'll do it independently. We'll do it on our own. That's how I'm used to, bit, to doing business. So that's what I did. I raised the money, and Kyle, Andrew, and I set about doing it on our own. Now, we were about 20 pages in, and word got out that Andrew and Kyle were working on a Beatles book, and Andrew and Kyle are very well respected in mm. the comic industry. The Beatles, obviously, anything Beatles yeah, will, will prick yeah, people's ears. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, while I'd never done a book before, you know, I produced Green Day's American Idiot. Mm. I produced The Addams Family. So I had some, uh, some name recognition, if mm. you will, within the, the, right. the, the entertainment industry. Even though if they gave you money, it wasn't going to disappear. I basically, guess. I guess. I had some. So I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I had 
some name recognition, exactly, I guess. Right, some, yeah, yeah. some, some, so there was some trust yeah, that that, uh, that a project I worked on would happen, I yeah. guess. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so, so the publisher started calling us, and we were in this wonderful situation where we weren't looking for a deal, and uh, and people were were calling us. And um, I met Michael Martins, um, Dark Horse's head of sales, uh, at Book Expo here in New York about four years ago. And Michael uh, said, "Oh, are you are you looking for a publisher?" And I said, "I'm actually not." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, I'd love to talk to my publisher, Mike Richardson, about this. Uh, he's a huge Beatles fan." And I said, "Sure, please talk to Mike." And uh, you know, it was a convention, so it ended on Sunday. And uh, it might have been Monday or Tuesday. A couple days after, Michael called me and said, "Mike Richardson loves this project. He'd love to meet with you. He's flying to New York. Would you would you sit down with him?" And I said, "Of course." And it, Mike is a massive Beatles fan. And if you go to fifthbeatle.com under our partners page, um, you'll see a, you'll see a section that Mike Richardson wrote about why he cares about the Fifth Beatle. And it became very clear that Mike and and all the folks he introduced me at Dark Horse were the right team for this. Yeah. Um, you know, the other publishers I sat down with were all great, mm-hmm. but I have to say working with Dark Horse has been like by, like working with family. They're all so wonderful, so easy to deal with. They're all passionate about this subject. Mm-hmm. So it became clear right off the bat that they were the right home for this. Right. Um, so we signed with Dark Horse, but we were already, you know, had already mm-hmm. gotten started, started the book. So uh, we finished it with them. And we've been working on it for four years, so it's a real, uh, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. And we're very, uh, very excited that it's finally here. Yeah, and before we, we started talking, and um, guys are watching this, listening to this, on the page there should be, uh, it should be embedded in the page, but it's just a, a trailer yeah. for, 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 the, for the book. Yeah. What was the impetus behind creating a trailer uh, for the book? And uh, there's something special about the score, right? Yeah. So the yeah. the book trailer, uh, you know, we wanted to give a sense of, of what of the the feelings, the emotion behind the book, the fact that it is a very filmic story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but with the trailer, I wanted to. We are making a film, uh, which I'm sure we will talk about yeah. later if you like. And the film is live action; it's not animated. Right. So I also didn't want the trailer to be animated per se, because I didn't want to give off the false impression that the film was going to be an animated film. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't want to get give off the impression that we were doing a motion comic, because mm-hmm. we're not. Right. I'm not a big fan of motion yeah. comics. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it was kind of a challenge to capture movement and make the trailer dynamic, but also not make it look like a motion comic. Yeah. And uh, I thought we uh, would accomplish that in two ways. One is by working with an amazing uh, 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 animation company, and we worked with a company called Quality Transmedia and Double Bar- Barrel Motion Labs, and they're both amazing. And the second thing is through music. And uh, and so I, I hired... Uh, or. I worked with David Kahn, who's a longtime friend. It was weird to say I hired David. Um, we, I, I, got, I solicited the help of my, my buddy David. Um, but David is, uh, is also one of the world's great record producers. Um, he's worked extensively with Paul McCartney. Um, he's worked with Sean Lennon. He's got a lot of connections to Beatles Camp. But he's also worked with everyone from you know, Sublime to Fishbone. Mm. You know, he's one of those guys yeah. who's worked with everyone. And uh, so David Kahn composed a score specifically for our trailer. Um, which you know you can you can see at fitbeetle.com yeah. or will be embedded yeah. in uh, with the interview, yeah. um, and uh, and we um, we're very proud of the trailer. I think it gives off a real sense of the uh, the emotion and the dynamism and the filmic nature of the book, uh, while uh, you know not not looking like a motion comic. Right, so, yeah, right, yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the film. 
So why don't you give us the lowdown on what's going on there? Yeah, so we just announced uh, a couple weeks ago that Bruce Cohen will be uh, producing the film alongside myself. Uh, Bruce is amazing. I feel very proud and lucky to have him on board. Uh, Bruce is a three-time Academy Award nominee uh, and, and, and a winner, an Academy Award winner. <laughs> he won for American Beauty. Uh, he also produced Milk and Silver Linings Playbook, which is the other two times he was nominated. Um, and uh, he also produced Big Fish for Tim Burton. Uh, he's incredible. Right. Uh, he also sits on the, uh, he's the president of the American Foundation for Equal Rights. Uh, I'm not saying anything Bruce wouldn't tell you himself, but he is gay and Jewish. And so this project has a real emotional connection for him. Uh, I just feel that certainly his talent and his film resume alone would make Bruce perfect for the fifth Beatle. But the fact that he has a personal connection to the story um, makes him part of the family. You right, know, yeah. everyone who's worked on this project has some personal connection to it. Yeah. So Bruce is amazing. And um, we're very thrilled to be able to announce that he's working on it. And uh, the big film news is that we have um, secured the approval of the, the Beatles through Apple Corps, which has allowed us to uh, do a deal with Sony ATV, who control the music publishing, which is a long-winded way of technically saying that we have access to Beatles music for That's the film. fantastic news, right? Yeah, yeah we, are, we are literally the first and to date only film mm -hmm. about the Beatles to have secured their approval and, and Beatles, uh, Beatles music. There have been other Beatles films like Backbeat, mm -hmm. uh, Nowhere Boy about the early days yeah. of John Lennon. If you go back and look at the, any of these films, none None of them have Beatles music right. in it, and it's because they haven't gotten the approvals. Mm -hmm. So we're very, very proud of that. So our film will be full of Beatles music. Mm -hmm. It is adapted from the graphic novel, but but obviously because we have music, music is something that yes, there are scenes where we uh, you know have lyrics and performance yeah. moments in the book, but in the film we can actually yeah. have those moments. In the film we can actually have those moments. So there's going to be a lot of music sequences in the film that you won't see in the book. And similarly, there's many scenes in the graphic novel that I think work on the page that don't work, uh, that won't, wouldn't work on screen. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so the graphic novel and the film will be very different from each other. But that being said, the film is an adaptation of the graphic novel. Right. So I'm very, very excited about that. So you, this is obviously a passion project for you. You've been working on it for two decades, basically, in some Researching in some it for two decades, yeah. Um, is, did you, how did you like writing a graphic novel? And is this something you want to do in the future? Or is it just because this was a passion thing for you and it's kind of on the Oh, next? you know, I named my company Tawari Entertainment Group and I gave it that very vague name um, so we could take on a number of projects across the artistic disciplines. Uh, it was always my goal from the beginning of my company's uh, uh, inception to work in film, television, theater, graphic novels, music. I always wanted to do everything. And I grew up reading comics, as I said earlier. I think I said that <laughs> yeah, earlier. Um, so, you know, I was thrilled to finally have a project that I thought this belongs as a graphic novel, you know, so, um, so it's not really, it's not as radical a shift as it might seem. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people are like, wow, what made you want to do a graphic novel? I've always wanted to do a graphic right, yeah. novel. So, there, you know, it's just a long-winded way of saying like, yes, and yes, absolutely. I love the process. Mm -hmm. I love writing. I wrote the screenplay for The Fifth Beatle. Um, I absolutely have a few other graphic novel ideas in mind. Uh, none of them are concrete enough to be worth talking about mm -hmm. yet. Um, almost all of them are music driven. Mm -hmm. Music is in my blood. Uh, I will say none of them are biographical. I've loved doing a biography uh, with this Brian Epstein project, but I think my next one will be a little more fictional mm -hmm. uh, so that I can uh, uh, not have to worry quite so much about period. The, right. the, the, nailing the period was, was a, a joyful but painstaking process. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think my next one will, will have a lot of music in it, uh, but, but uh, will also allow me to take some more liberties, I suppose. All right. So, yeah. All right, great. So the, it's out on November 19th. 
Yep. Um, how can people get their hands on it? Yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah. I will plug it. Uh, <laughs> it is already available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and IndieBound. Um, and there are three different editions of the book. All three are available for pre-order. Uh, there's a collector's edition. The standard edition is $19.99. Uh, and at Amazon, I think it's $15. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a steal, if yeah. you will. Uh, and uh, the collector's edition, which is this edition here, um, is uh, available for $49.99. It features a textured cover and 20 pages of bonus materials that wow. include an art gallery from Andrew Robinson that uh, show you his process. It's really, it's really lovely. And also, over the years, many of the people that I met with... Um, about Brian, many of them have given me Brian Epstein memorabilia, yeah. so I've had a chance to uh, to put some of those into the book, including a Christmas car a Christmas card oh, wow. that his assistant Joanne gave that he gave his assistant Joanne. Um, Nat Weiss, his best friend, gave me one of Brian's business cards. Mm -hmm. So the bonus materials are, are pretty lovely. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a, um, a limited edition version of the book um, that's on sale for $100, $99.99. And uh, that is limited to 1,500 copies, uh, signed and numbered, signed by myself and Andrew Robinson and Kyle Baker. And also comes in a special slipcase. I can show that to you as well. All right. And they're gotcha. all available right now. And um, if I can make one more plug, uh, you know, at fifthbeetle.com, you can get a wealth of other information. We have a mailing list there where we'll keep you posted on film news. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we're very excited about everything. All right. Well, great. Well, Vivek Tiwari, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Uh, the Fifth Beetle hits shelves November 19th. And uh, you guys should check it out. All right. So we'll thank be back you so much. Thanks, more guys. on Talking Comics. Yeah. All right. So, uh Back with Talking Comics here on Artist Alley, uh, last day on Sunday, and we're here, here, here. See, my, my, I've been speaking so much this weekend, it's gone. Here with Ed Brisson, um, author of Sheltered, uh, Comeback, and uh, Murder Book. Uh, so, Ed, how is your comic going? It's been going pretty good so far. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I like coming out to New York. It's, uh, it feels like this is like one of the more, like I've been hanging around just in Artist Alley, but it feels, feels super comic, comic con, you know, like where like, a lot of them is like a lot of cross media, yeah. uh, but that could just be because I'm an artist alley and not venturing over into that other part. So, yeah, it's been a good show. Um, so let me ask you, you know, you're a writer, obviously. Um, you're sitting here in Artist Alley. What is it like for a writer in Artist Alley? Uh, it's kind of weird because, uh, you know, like I'm just, you know, it, it's good because I'm, I'm meeting people, but like, man, it's hard to make the money. I'll tell you that for sure. Like selling $3 comic books, I can't do uh, commissions. But uh, yeah, it's, it's good, man. Like I, I used to be an art. Like when I first started out, I used to draw my own comics and write. But uh, yeah, it's just whatever. It's just chill. It means I get to. I'm not. I'm not also bogged down by commissions. I can get up and walk around if I need, and you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. So, um, sheltered. What, what issue are we doing? Sheltered now. Uh, issue four comes out on Wednesday, so in just a few days, like three days, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. So, how has the reception been so far? It's been really good. We're uh, both surprised and super happy with it. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's been a really good re reception. We were a little bit worried because it's a pretty dark story. So we thought that uh, we were just worried about how people would uh, uh, react to it. But so far, yeah, it's so good, man. So, I mean, most of our listeners, we talk about it on our show a bunch of times. So I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners know what Shelter is. But really quick, just let them know what it is in case people are wondering what the heck is this book Shelter you're talking about. Sure, it's about a, a group of uh, sort of survivalists or doomsday preppers or whatever you want to call them who uh, who think that the end of the world's coming. So they, they sort of basically have, they move off the grid, set up a small community where they're sort of preparing for the end of the world. And um, 
the, the, the basic catalyst for everything is that a group of them think that this uh, catastrophic event is about to occur that would wipe out most of humanity and that uh, there's not enough supplies for everybody to survive and basically how do you deal with that and uh, they deal with it in probably the most excessive way possible but it's a it's it's a book about people doing excessive things to ensure their own survival so you know it's obviously very grounded in reality um, you know a lot of people might know you for, from comeback right so which is a, a, a kind of a dirty sci-fi book you know uh, that looper type of uh, you know genre that's been been very popular lately so um, but sheltered is very grounded and so and the book, your book before that, your murder book, is a true crime kind of kind of situation, right? So, it's come back almost like uh, the outlier in the kind of fiction that you like to write. Uh, a little bit, like, but I think uh, comeback is really shows sort of my my own like personal preference to taking uh, to approaching different like different genres uh, because it's still like it's this time travel book, but it's still like very much like this sort of gritty crime thing as well. And, uh, and that's sort of like, that's my wheelhouse. I like doing really sort of gritty, uh, almost more real life uh, stuff, like more character driven stories than, than I do like sort of, you know, uh, these like sort of maybe like a high concept story or something like that. So that's, uh, you know, in, in some ways because it's got sci-fi elements, uh, uh, come back as the outlier, but I've got a, I've got a couple other projects on the way that, that do, uh, do the same sort of thing, you know, um, have this sort of like sci-fi elements uh, with like sort of kind of a real setting, you know. So uh, you were when I walked up before you were, give, you were giving me the pitch on Murder Book. Yes. Uh, so why don't you give uh, the folks at home a, a pitch on Murder Book? Yeah, sure. Well, Murder Book is a series of short crime stories that I do. They're all self-contained stories. They're you know anywhere from six to eighteen pages, and it's just me kind of like uh, they started out because I was frustrated pitching books. I decided I, I was I was going to take a break from pitching and just actually write and put stuff out there myself. And uh, so yeah, I started doing these really gritty crime stories. In all, you know, in some ways, they're similar to like the old EC crime stories, but much more modern, much more gritty. Not, uh, you know, we don't have the uh, narrator throughout the stories. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just my own sort of it's my baby basically. It's this thing that I do and and uh, like to put out there. And if you know, if I had my way, I would do a lot more like longer straight crime stories. Um, and hopefully, in the near future, will be. So. Interesting, you know, I, 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 I think the, you know, talking about you were, you were tired of pitching and you just wanted to do it, right? And I, I think that a lot of people uh, let themselves be stopped waiting for someone to give them permission to do the thing they want to do. And, I mean, you, you wouldn't do it yourself. What, what advice would you give for those people out there who are waiting for someone to open the gate for them? Yeah, I would, my, 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 my stupid advice is always if you want to make comics, then make comics. Just go out there and do it. Like, uh, the closest analogy I can think of, like, if you think of, of, like, a band. And imagine a band that just sits um, in their basement recording four-track, you know, recordings of, uh, of their songs and sending them off to record labels and waiting for the record label to give them a go-ahead. You know, bands don't do that, right? Bands go and they play shitty dive bars and uh, uh, they just play anywhere that will let them have a, a, a stage for the, when they're starting out. And I feel like... Uh, a lot of guys want to uh, skip that part. They want to skip, you know, like, just continue with the analogy. They want to skip, like, to the record deal rather than, than putting in the time. Uh, sorry, talk to the guy, uh, this guy right here. Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, um, 
yeah, they, they want to skip to that, that record deal part rather than putting in the work. And I think for comics, I think the best thing to do is get out there and just prove yourself, man. Just do these short stories. Uh, keep it short, man. Do not start out with like some epic 300-issue uh, Cerebus type shit, man. Because you're, you're never going to finish it. You're going to hate it, especially if it's, it's new work. You're going to hate it by the time you're on issue three. You're going to want to go back and revise. So start small and just build up and just, and just constantly put the work out there. And if you're a writer, make sure you get the best artist you possibly can. Do not settle, man. Just picture it like... Imagine it's like, um, imagine it's like almost like getting married, like a bunch of short-term marriages all over the place. <laughs> you're not gonna just marry the, the first person who's gonna let you kiss them, right? You don't. You're not gonna work with the first artist that's there willing to work with you just because whatever they want exposure or something like that. Make sure you get a good artist because when people are looking at your comics, it's an art-first medium, man. They're gonna see the art first, and if the art sucks, they are not gonna read your writing. So. That's awesome. And uh, before before we get out of here, before, when we were sitting down before we started recording, you mentioned you were a giant uh, rap fanatic, huh? Yes. Yeah. So uh, w w have you always been that way since you were younger? What is it about rap that, that you cling to so much? You know what? I don't know because, man, when I, where I grew up uh, in Ontario, uh, it was not cool to listen to rap. And uh, like back in the day in like the 80s, uh, I was a huge Run DMC fan. And everybody else uh, where I lived was a metalhead, and Run DMC was known to them as the band that ruined Aerosmith. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, it was really tough. I, I was like a closet rap fan for years. But yeah, I've been, um, I think, right up until 94, all I listened to exclusively was rap, and then I kind of uh, took a bit, bit of a break. I got into punk for a while, I was like really into punk music, and then, you know, right around sort of 98, I got back into rap and hip hop. and. Uh, yeah, I'm just a big fan of that stuff, man. I have a pretty eclectic taste of music, but I find that uh, when, I, when I launch iTunes and I can see what I've listened to the most, it's usually the top stuff is all hip-hop albums. So. Awesome, awesome. Well, as you said, sh uh, Shelter Number 4 hits shelves uh, on Wednesday, which is when this podcast comes out. So awesome. they should be hearing it the day it comes out. So go to your comic shop and pick that up. Uh, the trade of Comeback is out. Yes. Um, and is there any way they can pick up Murderbook other than at a convention like this? Yeah, just go to edbrisson.com or murderbookcomic.com and you can get it there. All right, awesome. Ed, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> oh, I... If you listen to a lot of popular radio stations, they'll have a night where, or a week where they take the number of call-ins into account and they create a playlist of those things, like a greatest hits of the week or a most requested of the week. If we were going to make a most requested for Talking Comics. Uh, this next group of people might just fill out that group. We were incredibly excited to talk to all these people, and I hope you guys enjoy what you hear next. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, Steve here for Talking Comics, and I'm actually standing in Artist Alley with Will Sliney, who is the current artist of uh, one of our favorite books, The Fearless Defenders. So, hello. Hey, guys. How are you? Very good, man. Um, let's, are you having a good time? Uh, absolutely. It's just started, so I'm, I'm full of energy. I'm sure it'll be very, very different to ask me again on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> very cool. All right, let's see. Um, well, let's get. Let's figure out where, uh, where'd you get your start with comics? How'd you get involved with all this stuff? Uh, it's, well, 
Well, I'm from Ireland, so kind of like it was it was kind of a different scene over there. We didn't have a lot of comic book stores and stuff a few years ago, and there wasn't that many conventions to go to. So I did some kind of some small press stuff there, and then I kind of got got some work in England, and none of that was really really seen. And eventually, my break in America was with Boom, and I got to draw Farscape, uh, and they gave me like 29 issues or something to do, which was a great way to start. Oh off, wow! Really, yeah. So I was very lucky, and it, I just kind of basically climbed the ladder from there. I did some stuff for Image. I did a lot of Star Wars stuff back for European publishers then. Uh, I think I did, Mac- I did MacGyver for Image Comics, and that's when I broke into Marvel with Fair Defenders. So. Wow, that's awesome. Do you have, um, like, a? has there been another artist or just a, maybe an experience that's influenced your art and this, its style? Oh, well, totally. Like, it, it, it changes over the years. Like, like, when I first really started, like, drawing comics by myself, I used to love, let's say, Joe Malarera and J. Scott Campbell I used to, like, redraw their pages. But then, like, as my interests kind of changed over the years, like, kind of went through like Jim Lee and you know we, but it, nowadays it's like Stuart Dimon and Olivier Coipel um, guys like that like I, I love their stuff Lin Liu it, it always changes like it's like you see a new book and there's just so many different things different techniques that they're using that you can kind of you want to bring into your artwork and things like that and you just learn you learn from the best basically so it's constantly changing that's awesome man uh, how did you how'd you like how'd you get hooked up doing the Fearless Defenders who approached you uh, it was C.B. Sabolsky actually at a convention in Ireland called Dice he was over as like the talent manager for Marvel and I had a couple of near misses like for books at Marvel uh, and then they basically was like hey are you ready for a book now it's like yeah of course and it was actually last year's New York Comic Con I was brought over and that's when I was told what it was and obviously I was delighted that it was one of the Marvel Now books like I, I, I didn't think that my first Marvel book would be you know an issue one and basically I was told like you're the artist on the series until the end as well so I was like oh this, this is fucking brilliant like, oh know? dude that's awesome yeah. so I was excited and that's when I got to meet Colin and Ellie, the editor, and they explained like the concept behind the book, which I was obviously really excited about. So it's been a great year. That's fantastic, man. Uh, I'm curious about this. Who is your favorite of the girls? <laughs> who's well, I, I, two two questions? Uh, I, yeah. Who's your favorite, and who's your favorite to draw? I think my favorite character is Annabelle. Uh, especially, it was just really funny when everyone freaked out. Uh, I won't. Well, I suppose people have read it by now. I yeah. think we could spoil it by yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. When, when she died, even though we knew we weren't dying, I was away on holidays, uh, and I could only get internet once a day when I would walk past a certain restaurant because I had their Wi-Fi password. And every time I'd walk past it, just hate me would start coming in. But we knew that like she was coming back to life in the next issue. We knew that's because people really cared about her, and uh, and now she's in a position where she's like like a really strong part of the Marvel Universe now. I'm really excited as well about Ren is the character that just came out in uh, yesterday's issue just because I really like the kind of the visual thing that she has with these kind of ribbon uh, razor blades coming out of her fingers but Annabelle definitely she's like the heart of the series really. Right. So and favourite to draw is probably Elsa just because of that smug look on her face. Right. It's a bit of fun. Yeah. Now there's a there's a point in the series where there's basically a like a roll call or a call to yeah. arms and all so many women in Marvel come like charging over the horizon. Yeah, yeah. What was going through your mind when you were drawing that? Uh, I was thinking I wish I didn't draw digitally because if I had the original of this it might sell for a lot. <laughs> but uh, no, it was cool. That was exciting because like Colin was like, "Who do you want to have in there?" And I was like, "Oh, can I have Black Cat? Can I have whoever?" So that was I that was the high point 
point of the first hour. Did you get to choose? I got well, at the very very start like they like they were like who would you like to have in the defenders you know and so I kind of gave my kind of things but there's obviously different reasons why certain characters can be like are, are in different books so if they're in one team they weren't going to be on ours and stuff but uh, right yeah I like where it went yeah. very cool uh, can you tell us anything about upcoming issues at all uh, or you don't want to spoil anything. Uh, think the next issue kind of is a bit of a the last issue was a dance issue the next issue is like they're having a party on the beach in Amazonia so that's kind of fun but because it's on the beach near the water that's kind of where the the evil attacks from we'll say. Right, so, right. so I'm, I'm actually from a little fishing village back in Ireland so I got I really got to use my knowledge of like crabs and oh, things nice. like that to draw so that's Very as far cool. as I'll go with that one <laughs> um, what uh, I had a question and I forgot what it was for a second <laughs> you need a pen and paper man I do need a pen and paper <laughs> um, well I know okay if you were able to, uh, if somebody offered you a creator-owned project, do you have anything in mind of as, something original that you'd like to do? Uh, of Totally of... of yeah, uh, if you could make your dream comic, um, what would it be? I did. One thing that I got to do, like, it only was released in Ireland, is I got to do these Irish Legends books. They're, like, there's this old Ar Ooh. Ireland mythology book. Like folklore and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, a Cucullin is the story there. It's like, it's basically, it's a 3,000-year-old story that, you know, if a story survives that long, then it's obviously good, like, you know, so I got to bring out a book on that. I actually, that's the book that I worked on before Defenders, but it, because it was with a book publisher, it came out a good bit later. So all the buzz that was there with Defenders, uh, that's when Cucullin launched in Ireland, and like the place kind of went crazy, and it's all really well over there. So basically, I, I have a kind of a book deal there with those guys that whenever I have time, I'll do more kind of folklore stuff. So I really like that kind of stuff. I have a few other ideas as well, because I did, I, I got to write that one as well. Uh, if I was to do some kind of creator on stuff over here, like you can't really do too too much Irish mythology stuff because people don't really get it over here, like, right? You know right, I mean? which is fair enough. Um, so I have a few ideas, but I, I do like doing the Irish mythology. Ones. We're all about the Loch Ness monster, yeah, yeah. That's not Ireland, so no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's excellent, man. Um, so what, um, do you have anything on like on the horizon after Furious, or you, you're uh, there for good for now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Marvel have told me that they'll they'll keep me on afterwards as well, which is really exciting. So, uh, but but I like I love this book. Like like I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, and if they had come to me and said like, oh, will you drop Defenders to do on Spider-Man? I wouldn't leave it now at this stage. You wouldn't like, do it. No, because like how, like how many people get to you know really put their stamp on a book like you know? So I really feel like like I, like I feel especially with the latest couple of issues we've really kind of hit our kind of momentum and got going with it like you know so like like obviously it'll only last for so long but like I'll stay on it till the very very end right um, what's your art like what's your art studio like what's your setup um, well I work from home obviously I work digitally so I have like a, a Cintiq uh, connected to my computer and it's just kind of all built around there but I'm kind of I'm renting at the moment getting ready to finally get my own place and I can't wait to deck out like an art studio with toys and stuff like that I'm, I'm kind of hoarding at the moment <laughs> buying stuff for to be put away until I actually move in get the shelves ready like, exactly that's so, awesome yeah so it's exciting I hope that'll be fun uh, and a uh, question for me um, I'm actually going to be asking everybody this yeah. music do you uh -huh. write do you draw to music uh, 
yeah, soundtracks all the time. When I was doing MacGyver, I had that old 80s song blaring the whole time. You did MacGyver? Uh, yeah, I worked on MacGyver for him. I think the graphic novel just came out last week or something. That's uh, sweet. Finally. And uh, that was huge in Ireland, MacGyver, like the TV series. So I was blaring the old song. And Star Wars, obviously, I was wearing that stuff. Defenders End is just more kind of... I, I love movie soundtracks, so anything... That, I actually, actually listen to a lot of... Uh, if I was, like, drawing Valkyrie, it would be more, like, the, the Thor kind of soundtracks and stuff. So you listen to, like, scores and stuff? Yeah, yeah, all the time. Hans Zimmer or whoever, like, you know, love that kind of stuff. That's fantastic, man. All right, well, um, I guess we'll let you go back to what you were doing. Sure, better and get some drawing done. <laughs> yeah, dude, I mean, thank you so much for no taking problem. the time out to talk Thanks with us. Thanks for supporting the book. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, we're, we're big fans. We dig what you do. Thank you. All right, all right man, great. take Thanks. care. Thank you. Thanks so much. No problem, man. All right, we are here in Artist Alley with Matt Kent. Matt, how has your show been going so far? Uh, really good, you know. It's busy. It's New York's. Yeah, it's crazy. Just being over here, it's been nonstop for you, huh? Yeah, it's been probably my best show ever, so I don't know if I'm ever coming back again. <laughs> this is it. So, uh, at Talking Comics, you're, you are definitely one of the people that we most get asked to interview because we, we have a huge, uh, a huge group of people at our, of our site. They love all your stuff. Not only do you seem very busy at the show, you seem to be busy in general. You seem to be writing just about every book that I turn around and see on the shelves. How crazy has professionally it been for you in the last, I don't know, six months? Yeah, it's been crazy. <laughs> no, no, honestly, I just, I've, you know, I work seven days a week, you know, and then I write at night until I go to sleep. So, it, I mean, that's, that's sort of the trade-off is, like, I wanted to do all these things, and I started getting asked to do stuff like Spider-Man, things that I've wanted to do since I was, like, 15. I'm like... Okay, 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 and and then uh, pretty soon I find that I have no free time, you know. So I'm going to start scaling back pretty soon, but uh, it's been a fun summer. So. Yeah, yeah. So actually, Marvel Knights Spider-Man just came out. Uh, really out there, out there story. What was? Uh, did you kind of have free reign to do what you wanted with that book, or you know, what, how did that come about? Yeah, it came about. Axel at Marvel just called me up out of the blue, and he's like, "Hey, we we're launching Marvel Knights, and do you want to write a Spider-Man story?" And I was like, "Sure," and he's like. Well, I have the title for you. I want you to do, it's called 99 Problems, where he fights 99 villains. He's like, are you interested in doing that? And I was like, well, how many issues is it going to be, you know? And he's like, well, five issues. Like, that's 20 villains an issue, you know? I did the math. And uh, I was like, okay, as long as I'm not drawing that, you know, I'll do it. Uh, and then, thank God I'm not drawing it. But poor, poor Marco, you know? He, uh, and I, I think I, the average is like 10 villains an issue or something. And then... Uh, but then by so issue five, I'm like, Marco, we're <laughs> we're like sixty villains behind or whatever. We're gonna you're gonna need to cram everybody into these four pages. <laughs> and to his credit, he did it. So, awesome. yeah. so um, how's uh, how's my man been going? The first two volumes are, are out for Bill to buy. Um, the third one is obviously you're hitting it, it's hitting shelves right now. Um, how's the reaction been? And and what, what's what's in, what's in store for the my management? Yeah, it's been great. You know, the reception's been awesome and. Uh, People seem to be buying it, which is great, you know, and I'm just plugging away on it, you know, so I, I've had, I know how it ends, so it's it's about a 36-issue series, and, and it's just a matter of, like, you know, connecting the dots to get to that point, and, uh, no, it's been a lot of fun, and um, I don't know what to say, issue 15 just came out, and volume two's out, and, and uh, I'm on time every month, so it's just, it's like clockwork, you can count on it being there, so... Um, and so you also, uh, you have Unity coming up, right, from Valiant, a team book. Uh, tell us a little about that. Yeah, well, it's, it's basically all of their most awesome characters jammed together in one book. And uh, it's sort of like, a, like a, their version of the Justice League, except 
like none of the characters get along and they don't want to work together and and everybody has different motives you know and so it's gonna be a little more interesting I think and that um, it's kind of a train wreck of a team book you know but and it's got Ninjak in it like who doesn't love first of all just if you don't know Ninjak his name is Ninjak like how cool is that name and uh, so yeah I mean it, that book sells itself so. I also, um, you did a Bloodshot uh, issue zero uh, recently. Um, what was that, that character going in and taking a zero issue and kind of doing an origin story? Um, what was that like taking a character that was going already to, and a character that I think, I think it was initially brought a lot of people in to, to the book? And what was it like to ha have to do that book? Well, it was unique, you know, because I was a fan of Valiant in the 90s. And so when they relaunched everything, I was, I'm like, oh, I'll try it. And so I started reading them and I'm like, hey, these are these are still really good. Like, they got a lot of good writers. And so I was actually reading Bloodshot as a fan, like, around, I don't know if it was, like, I was through the first five or six issues. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, I wonder what is, because he was just kind of a mindless killing machine, which is totally awesome. But then uh, I was like, I wonder what his backstory is. And then uh, Warren of Valiant called me up, and he's like, hey, we want to do an issue zero with Bloodshot's origin. Do you want to write it? And I was like, yeah, what's his origin? He's like, well, you're going to write it. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, that, that's awesome. And so I had, like, like the writer in me, like, I can't read a book for entertainment anymore, you know? Like, I'm always thinking, like, what are they going to do? Or is this going to happen? Or why are they doing this? And so I already had ideas. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll pick one of those things I thought was going to happen, and that, that'll be what happens. So. It was great. It was great. You know, I, I hadn't um, really been reading much of the Valiant stuff at the point, and then I saw Zero Issue, and I jumped on, and now it's a universe that I really want to be part of. So it, it definitely did, did its job. Um, so you wrote a bunch of uh, Villains Month books for, for DC, a wide range of characters. Do you have a character that you, you most enjoyed uh, tackling? Yeah, you know, I think Harley Quinn was my favorite. And, uh, and I think for a lot of reasons, like I was a fan of Mad Love back in the day. And, and, uh, but then I feel like since then, she sort of became like this ditzy sort of like cheesecake character that is like the opposite of what I wanted to write. And when they asked me to write it, I was like, and I knew she's part of the Suicide Squad and and I know why they wanted me to. And I was like, I just don't know. Like, I don't know what. I, I don't know that I really like that character now. You know, and like the way she dresses, her costume's different. And I hated the costume. And uh, and I told the editor that I was like, I, just, I have all these problems with the character. And he's like, uh, but then I start thinking about. It. I'm like, oh, there's things that I can do to address that, and ways I can write her that would make it interesting to me, and like something that I would be proud of. And uh, and so that I, that actually was like the hardest one to get into. But once I did, I was. I was most excited about it when it was done because I felt like she was the biggest challenge to make somebody that you would actually kind of care about, you know, and, and uh, so I like that issue a lot. Awesome, Matt. Awesome. Well, you're really busy. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but thank you so much for taking time to talk with us on Talking Comics. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. Talking Comics back again here at the Dark Horse booth with Joshua Williamson. Joshua, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem, man. I'm glad I was able to come by. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... First of all, uh, I believe our first interaction, we have an interaction on Twitter. Yeah, we on Twitter, yeah. And I, I believe you wrote an, an issue of Batman Superman. Oh, yeah, That yeah, I yeah. love so much. The Damien issue the was Damien Supergirl. Supergirl. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite things I've ever written. I yeah. love that one. I just want to tell you, person, love that issue, man. Thanks, dude. I, I, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a classic for me, at yeah, least. Yeah, I love yeah. that issue. Yeah. And that's the whole thing with, like, with, uh, that was where I really learned how much I like writing characters that are kind of little jerks. Yeah. And that's where Ghosted, like, I read that book called Ghosted for yeah, Image. Yeah. And that's where that came into play. Like, the guy Jackson is such a little bastard, you know? Yeah. Um, that was where I learned, like, oh, yeah, I really like, like, 
writing these kinds of characters. Yeah. So yeah, I love that issue. I, it helps me out a lot. Yeah, I missed I missed that little jerk in the DC universe. Me too. Yeah. I I'd heard he was gonna die like a bit before he died, and I was really spoilers. Yeah. And uh, I was really bummed out about it, and I wanted to try to write him again before that, and I never got a chance to. So I yeah. totally missed that gag. Yeah. So uh, so enough. Let's talk about your DC stuff. Let's talk about your Dark Horse stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So why don't you let people. Or listening, and many don't know what 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 are you doing for Dark Horse right now? Uh, right now, I am writing uh, Captain Midnight, uh, which is about an old pulp superhero from the '40s who has uh, been pulled into present day and is sort of trying to complete his last mission. And he's sort of the thing about him is that he's unlike a lot of other like I'll just say Captain America or you know other Man at a Time sort of stories. Is that when he was pulled into present day, he was disappointed. You know, if you look at sort of what they thought the future was going to be like in the '40s. He had a certain, and he as a futurist and an inventor, and he was a genius, had this view of the future. And so when he arrives, he looks around, he's like, what happened? <laughs> like, we were planning all this stuff, where did it all go? Mm. And so he's really disappointed by that uh, and trying to fix it. And so one of the slogans we've been using is like, uh, they stole his uh, better tomorrow and he's trying to get it back. I think that's it. <laughs> it's better worded. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also, they just announced uh, this week during the convention, I'm writing Predator. Yeah. Uh, so what we're doing is we're doing this big relaunch of Prometheus, Aliens, AVP, and Predator. And they're all going to be sort of like tied together in this big world, this big uh, massive story we're planning. And I'm doing the Predator part of it, which is really exciting. Uh, at first, I wasn't sure which book I was going to be writing. But as the meetings went on, what we were doing is we're doing basically like a writer's room mm -hmm. with all the writers and some of the artists and the editors all in one room hashing out and trying to break the story together. And at first I wasn't sure if I was going to write Predator, but we all kept putting all these awesome ideas into Predator. And I was thinking, God, I really want to write that one. And so towards the end of the first meeting, I, I looked around I'm like, so we should probably figure out who's going to write what. <laughs> and, uh, and Scott Lee's like, well, I think you're going to write Predator. You seem to have a good handle on it. And I, on the outside, I was like, oh, all right, all right, cool, good. <laughs> on the inside, I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Have they talked about anything about what the storylines are going to be yet or anything like that? You know, only a little bit. We're not yeah. supposed to say too much about it. Right. I think uh, I can tell you a little bit of mine. You know, mine is is sort of a, a about an older Predator, more of a grizzled, like, war-torn Predator that's been around for a while. Um, who's sort of kind of like you can tell he's getting older toward the end of his life. And there's this one last thing he wants to hunt, that one great hunt. Mm. And so I'm, t I'm telling sort of like a Moby Dick sort of story with this character. And so, yeah, he's trying to get that one last thing. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what the la one last thing he's trying to hunt is. Yeah. That's part of the story, but you'll find out in issue one, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. So it's, it's uh, like a predator perspective of a story? You know, no. Okay. Um, there is a, a human character that's yeah. in it. I mean, again, I really like writing jerk sort right. of characters and sort of the... Not even anti-hero, you know? Like, that's not even the wrong word, but these guys who really are, their motivation is themselves, like, looking out for themselves. And so there is a human character that's in it named, uh, his name is Galgo. And Galgo um, will actually be introduced in some of the other books uh, first. But you can still read my story by itself. Mm -hmm. But Galgo, it's kind of through his eyes, or his perspective, um, and his sort of interactions with this predator. You'll have to, you'll have to see it. To, yeah, to no, read yeah, it, you know? yeah, yeah. But it is sort of a dual narrative with the two of okay. them. Um, it's been really interesting and, and, and difficult to pull off mm -hmm. because predators don't talk. And I don't really care for the whole parroting thing where he sort of, you know, will mimic what someone says. Right. You can only go so far with yeah. that. So uh, it's been a challenge, but also awesome. Yeah, so now does this stuff take the movies into account or is this a relaunch yeah. of like a universe here? It is, it is a little bit of a reboot, a little bit of a relaunch, but I definitely am uh, taking all the Predator stuff into mm -hmm. account. Um, I'm a continuity junkie. Like I've said this before, like I'm one of those guys that I will I will try and find those little things to put in for fans. Um, 
it would be sacrilege to me to ignore what came before. However, if you watch the three Predator movies, so and I'm, I'm you know, with Predator, Predator Two, and Predators, they stand alone. Mm -hmm, yeah. You know, there are some stuff you could say that connect, but for the most part, they stand alone, and that's sort of the same attitude I'm having, where I, my story is going to stand alone. But if you are a fan of those, you'll see that I'm honoring it, that I'm definitely trying to to, to keep it going. Right. You know, the same themes, same ideas. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Predator fan, so mm -hmm. I'm hoping that people can see that in the writing. Right. Is there a big difference between, let's say, writing uh, characters like Supergirl, Damien, that are, yeah. you know, they're, they're pre-existing characters, mm -hmm. uh, but the Predator universe is also pre-existing. Yeah. Is there a difference between dealing with that kind of licensed property and dealing with, like, the, the, those, those yeah. DC characters? Uh, I've done a lot of licensed books. I did Uncharted, mm -hmm. uh, I've done stuff. Uh, yeah, it all depends. I mean, it, mostly with DC, you're dealing with editors. And also with those things, I feel like uh, with Damien and Supergirl, I know their voices really well. Mm -hmm. But even with licensing stuff with Uncharted, I mean, those voices are really distinct. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, um, and so with those, when I was working on Uncharted, I would play the video game mm -hmm. and just listen to the sound ticks, and yeah. you know. Uh, but that's the thing that's kind of funny with comics. You feel like you know those characters, but you never actually hear them. Yeah. Unless like with Batman, we have so many different interpretations yeah. of Batman. Uh, but with Predator, it is kind of different because he doesn't have a voice. It's more of a theme. It's more of a like honoring sort of that classic movie and that, mm -hmm. that, that idea of that. But it, it's different because with with regular, uh, I must say regular comics, you're dealing just with the editors. Mm -hmm. Whereas in with that, so you're dealing with the editor and the licensor, and the licensors have different have different uh, motivations than the editors do. And so it's a balancing act, mm -hmm. um, and it can be interesting. It can be fun. It can be challenging. <laughs> Uh, but I don't mind it so much. But yeah. I think Predator will probably be my last licensing for a while. Mostly because I'm focusing, like again, Captain Midnight. Like where yeah. we have this big story plan for Captain Midnight. They've been working on that we're really excited about. Uh, they're hoping people stick with it. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where we're, we're really planning something in the beginning for a long-term yeah. plan. And same thing with Ghosted. Like I'm doing Ghosted with, with Image, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm really excited about that. I love yeah. I love writing it, and I'm gonna keep doing more books like that. I, I really think. Like, Predator will probably be my last license thing for a while, so I'm trying to put as much effort into it as I can. Right. Go out on a high note. Yeah, absolutely. Know? So, uh, with Captain Midnight, actually, I was at the um, the retailer's breakfast this year. Oh, nice. And they showed a, uh, a big image. They, they were really, Dark Horse was really pushing their superhero stuff. Yeah. A big image that had, you know, Captain Midnight on it and all their other superheroes all they've been super, introducing. Yeah, yeah. How has it been kind of like, because they're not known for their superheroes, Dark Horse, not really. Yeah. So what has it been like to kind of be on the front lines of this new kind of superhero movement with them? Um, I, I guess I don't think about it that much. Okay. Uh, I mostly yeah. think about Captain Midnight, yeah. and I talk with them because I live in Portland, so I go down to Dark Horse frequently and meet with them and talk. Uh, but mostly, you know, they, they gave me the Bible. So I had the Bible about what I need to sort of uh, focus on, what they're trying, the big, big, big picture, the big plan. And so for me, I've been able to sort of focus mostly on the Captain Midnight plan, mm -hmm. but still knowing what is on the periphery of the, of the story yeah. and trying to find ways of seeding it mm -hmm. in is fun. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I guess I don't get intimidated by it at all. Yeah. Like, I really just want Captain Midnight to, to work on its own. Yeah. Um, and me and Jim Gibbons, who are the editor, we talk a lot about, like, the story. I mean, there are times I will call him to ask him a simple question, thinking it's going to last, like, maybe a minute or two. And they're on the phone for, like, two hours. Because we'll start talking about the future of the book and these big plans we have. And, and we're trying to we're trying to create a kind of... This is sound really silly, maybe. <laughs> Did you watch Breaking Bad? No. You are aware there's a show called Breaking yes, Bad. Yes, I'm aware of this, this thing that exists called Breaking <laughs> so, Bad. So uh, with Breaking Bad, you know, there's a lot of things that pay off, you mm -hmm. know, and a lot of double backing, sort of. You, you realize uh, they were building a story for a while. Right. There's a lot of what, like Chekhov's gun. There's a lot of that going mm -hmm. on. We have a lot of that in Captain Midnight. We're hoping that people will pay attention and, and kind of stick with us and be patient and see how when you get to issue eight, 
you're gonna be like, oh crap, that was an issue one. Yeah. You get to issue nine, and you're gonna be like, oh crap, that was issue three. Like you're gonna see this build, this back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're really excited about that. I'm, I'm hoping people will stick with it and, and see this huge story we're, we're telling. Oh. I don't. We don't take too much more of your time, no, so but, cool. but um, I do want to not get out of here without talking about Ghosted a little bit. Yeah, please. You know, I love Ghosted. Yeah, that really and important we've been loving it so far, especially at the site. We've thank been you. talking about it a lot of weeks on the podcast. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, and uh, for, first of all, tell people what Ghosted is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ghosted is it's it's Ocean's Eleven mm -hmm. in a haunted house instead of a casino. Um, it's about a guy named Jackson Winters who is broken out of prison by this rich old collector and is told that he has to steal a ghost from a haunted house. And he puts together a team of the best paranormal experts in the world to help him steal the ghost. Um, and it's very much a dark, dark humor crime story. Um, it can be violent in places, but I think people, I'm, lately I've, I've noticed people more and more talking about there's humor there too. Yeah. It's very much black humor. Um, and it stars the guy, yeah, Jackson Winters, yeah. who's just a bastard. This <laughs> kind of a bad guy who, a uh, little smart, you know, smart ass, you know, the smart mouth who. Speaks his mind, doesn't hesitate. So, but um, so I do it with Goran Suzuka, who did Why the Last Man. Yeah, yeah Why the Last Man. Uh, he did uh, Outlaw Nation. He's done a lot of different books for Vertigo, and I'm really happy we've got him in. And then um, we haven't announced it yet. We've shown Phillips covers. Uh, on Saturday, we're going to announce we're having a guest artist come in for a couple issues. So, All give right. Goran a little bit of break so we can catch up and we All get back right. on things. But uh, we're really, really excited about it. The stuff that we have um, coming up is crazy. Uh, issue five is going to be nuts. Uh, eight is crazy. I, I'm, again, I want people to stick with it. I'm yeah. like, it's rough because eight doesn't come out until I think like, oh man, March. Mm -hmm. And so there's that part of me that's like, oh man, I cannot wait for March. Mm. Eight is crazy. Because <laughs> um, I'm really, it's yeah, it's a supernatural horror but with crime. That's really what I'm going for. It's like horror noir yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, so. it's, it's a, it's a. It's a fresh mixing of, of two tropes, you know, two genres. Yeah. That, that's really cool to, to see. Thanks, coming man. Together. I'm trying, dude. I'm trying. Yeah. It's it's rough. The balancing of that book is really hard. But I've learned a lesson recently. It's really all about Jackson mm -hmm. because he is such a focal point of the book. If I can't write him, if he's not coming to me, then it's gonna take forever. But there are days where I get just I hear his voice and yeah. it's just like <laughs> it's those one-liners. Once I start hearing his one-liners, it, it flows. Yeah. It, it ends up working out really well. I think being a writer is like a profession where you can say. I hear voices in my head, yeah, everyone's and cool people with it. are cool with it. You know, like whatever. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what, with Ghost of Number Eight. That was really what it was. It was the opening scene. Um, I went for a walk, and I could hear the conversation between the two characters. It was a bad guy and, and Jackson talking, and Jackson is at his best when he has someone to bounce off of. You know, someone that they don't get along. Like in the first issue with Anderson, the two of them they don't get along. Uh, and so yeah, with that, I was hearing both of them just going back and forth. I got home and I wrote it up. It was awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well. You sound like a busy man right now. I am, yeah. I'm exhausted. Yeah, yeah. I don't sleep Midnight, much. Predator, Ghosted. I know, and I have so many more books next year. Like, I'm, 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 I'm overbooked right now. Like, I was yeah. telling you when we yeah. first started talking, yeah. it's like, I have so much stuff I'm working on right now that I don't really need any more work. Mm -hmm. And so it's weird to go to a convention and you're not asking for work. You're just like, just leave me alone. <laughs> I just want to go home and work. That's all I want to do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, things are going really good, man. And I'm hoping uh, people read Ghosted and Captain mm -hmm. Midnight and next year is going to be crazy. I'm, I'm I have another crime horror book for next year that I'm hoping people who read Ghosted, who also read Masks and Mobsters, the yeah, book I do, yeah. read those. We'll, have, we'll go over to the other ones. It'll be fun. All right, awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing you coming in 2014. Joshua Williamson. Yeah, so thanks, man. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Comics. Yeah, thank you. All right. All right, uh, Bobby back here with Talking Comics, and we're here with uh, Star Wars writer Brian Wood. Brian Wood, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Um, so how's your comic going so far? It's good. This is my uh, local show. Yeah, yeah you're a so, New Yorker, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I am. So it's my favorite show because I can sleep in my own bed. Yeah. 
I can, I can roll in when I need to. It's awesome. It's nice. So, it's yeah. nice. Um, so, sorry, Star Wars, um, it's been huge for Dark Horse. Um, what has it been like for you taking on that property? You have, you've done a lot of licensed stuff, obviously, and other stuff as well, but how has Star Wars kind of been set apart from those other things for you? Um, well, I haven't done that that many licensed yeah. properties, but Star Wars is different because um, it's the one that I know the best. It's mm -hmm. the one that I personally am the biggest fan of. Like a lot of the other stuff, I approach from like a like an intellectual point of point of view. Like some of the Marvel stuff, you know, um, Conan possibly, but Star Wars I actually like love and have for thirty five five years. Right. So it's it's a very different thing. Yeah. Uh, now, does that make it intimidating to write it? Because you know it so well? I sort of, I think I gave myself some kind of willful um, de denial about it. Like, I just started writing it, and I'm like, whatever. Like, I'm writing scripts for my editor to read. I wasn't thinking about the larger, like, fan base or market or anything like that. I was just kind of, like, you know, having a fun. And then at some point, a couple weeks out from, from launch, I was like... Oh yeah, this is gonna be a thing. Like you know, I hope I did a good job. Suddenly I got all like worried, worried, worried about it. You know, um, but obviously it worked out really well. Yeah, so. yeah. How has the reaction been coming to you? Like hearing from fans and stuff like that. It's been good. Um, I find Star Wars fans, com compared to other groups of fans, to be the nicest, mm -hmm. be the most positive. Um, so it's been like even the even the bad reactions I've got have been pretty good. You yeah. know, so. Uh, <laughs> And I, it's it's really clear. Like everybody it seems like everybody was really waiting for this kind of original trilogy book because um, it's like doing so well, you know. Yeah. And it's spawning other original trilogy books, so it's good. Yeah, we heard already. Uh, Matt Kent's going to be doing a, another one in the in the spring, so that, that's an exciting addition to that kind of that universe. But uh, so you you've been doing a run on, on Conan. Obviously, Conan the Barbarian, and uh, that's you're, you're coming to a close for you. But before you do that, right, you're doing a crossover with Gail Simone. Yeah, it's like separate. Like it's not part of the same okay. story storyline. Um, yeah, I have. I'm writing my final Conan script now. All right. Um, the thing with with Gail, yeah, we just like announced that she and I are still working out mm -hmm. the story. But I th that's that's going to be its own thing, its right, own okay. sort of mini mini series. Um, yeah, and, uh, like I was jealous when she got the Red Sonja joke because I was like, that'd be cool, you know. <laughs> so, this, so this is good, you know. Yeah. It all works out. What has it been like working with Gail? Good. Like I said, we're still sort of like you know kicking ideas back and mm. forth, but I feel like she's been in the uh, trenches over there at DC working on yeah. like like I was actually cool. Like she she sent, sent over a bunch of ideas, and I'm like, like this is like a true comic book crossover idea. It's like yeah. big and epic, and it matters, and you know. Like everybody's been, been, I mean, there's been a long wait for a Conan Red Sonia mm -hmm. thing, and this, I feel like it, li it lives up to it. Yeah. So she gave me some, 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 some ideas, and I kick, I kicked a bunch back, and we're just doing, doing that until we have like a, like an outline ready to go. You know. Awesome, awesome. I mean, outside the Dorkor stuff, you're obviously we're right in the middle of the, the Battle of the Atom right now. What has it been like your first uh, X Men event? That's a whole other other thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's a small group. Like it's just myself and Brian Bendis and Jason Aaron, and the editors who have like a like they're the real like unsung heroes mm -hmm. of this thing, keeping keeping all the pieces clear and every you know. Um, 
it's just been it's been a lot of work. It's been good. It's been like a positive experience. Mm -hmm. But um, I didn't really know what what a Marvel event was like, and now <laughs> and now I do. You know, so I, I'm gonna miss all those like phone conference calls <laughs> with all those guys because uh, that was we had a, we had a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's good. I mean, it's it's such a, like an over the the top bombastic story. Mm -hmm. um, Everybody seems seems to be into it. Like yeah. it's like it's just like pure uh, fun. You know, yeah. it's not it's not dark or doom or anything like that. Yeah, you know? it feels you know like a like a classic X Men event. Yeah. You know? yeah, crazy time travel, different versions of characters. It, it's it's been a, it's been a good read. How was it like? You launched obviously uh, the the new X Men series, and then you quickly kind of went right into the Battle of Adam for a few issues. Was it a, a weird transition for you, or was it just a, a easy? Um, it was a bit weird. I mean, I, I knew it was coming even mm -hmm. b before the book launched mm -hmm. even before my number one one came out I knew that that was coming right. so uh, yeah so it didn't take us as as a surprise and there's like pros and cons like at first I was like man you know I don't know if that's a good thing to mm -hmm. have to immediately switch switch gears like that but on the other hand it really sort of I feel like it like communicates that X X-Men the title mm -hmm is like one of the the senior x-men books it's one of the like yeah. important you know so that was good it was very very flattering for me and i feel like it also sort of like elevates my book you know about mm -hmm. so. yeah, yeah so we have a we have a member of our our, our podcast on our team bob uh Ryer. he's he's in his late 50s and he had kind of been off the x-men train for a very long time and he picks up your book because uh, it, it reminds him of he said it reminds him of the claremont and, and burn stuff yeah uh, so um, he's a hard customer to, to please, so I just yeah. wanted to let you know about that. <laughs> That's cool. uh, well, that was part of the, that was like, like every X-Men book kind of has its own own identity, whether mm -hmm. it's like the, you know, like the horror book or this, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But for this one, we really wanted to have, um, like I wanted to write, like you said, a very classic X-Men yeah. story. Like in the in the traditional sense, not not a nostalgic trip. Yeah. But like in the straightforward action adventure, big things have, happen, mm -hmm. you know. So, so I'm glad it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm absolutely. glad it worked at least for your for yeah. your uh, friend there. So. And I gotta say, first time I've ever really liked Jubilee. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Because yeah. you know, growing up with the uh, the X Men animated series, just was never a character I liked on that show, and so I kind of brought that with me into the comics. Yeah. And maybe unfairly, but this absolutely <laughs> this one has been. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Um, and one more thing I want to talk about quickly. Uh, Mara just wrapped up. Yeah. Um, and uh, great series, uh, great many. Uh, Really interesting the way you took it from one place to a totally different place. By the end, it was over. What was it like working with Ming, and what was it like, what, like putting that together? It was good. Um, I, I kind of knew Ming before b beforehand, but she also, she also hadn't really done like a like a traditional comic mm -hmm. series. Right. You know, yeah. she did a lot a lot of web comics and one shots and stuff. So it was like a bit like stepping off into the the unknown. But mm -hmm. I've done done that a lot with artists. I've had a lot of really good good luck with like Becky Cloonan, yeah. Christian Don, all these artists that. Like my my book was their first first book, and it, it makes me look like a genius <laughs> when they when they go on to to like obviously be be very very great. Yeah. Even though I'm just like in the right place at the right the right yeah. time. So yeah, that's what it was like with the Ming. I mean, it's like her art is 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 uh, amazing, yeah. you know. And um, yeah, that series was a bit under the radar over there at Image, but I'm super proud of, proud of it. You know, yeah. I, re I really thought thought it came out good. Yeah, it came so. out great. It came together very well. Thank you. Um, so, we'll wrap it up with you guys. But um, are you sticking on Star Wars for the foreseeable future? I am. Okay. Like, there's a whole like issue of like the uh, rights yeah, up, up in question. <laughs> but um, like, no one's really like no one, meaning Lucas and Disney, mm -hmm. have have made a made a decision yet. 
So I'm, I'm good to go all the way up until issue 20. And at that point, they will have had to have made a, made a choice or decision. So at the very, very least, I'll be able to write a 20. All right. So we'll see how it goes from well, there. Well, Brian Wood, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Comics. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, man. Right. Thanks. All right, let's wrap up this giant-sized interview podcast with what I'm calling the multimedia section of the show. Uh, here we get to talk to Jane Espenson, writer uh, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Battlestar Galactica, Once Upon a Time. She's currently working on her own creation, a show called Husbands, about a same-sex marriage, which is going to be uh, produced by CW this year. And we also talked to Taryn Killam from Saturday Night Live and... Uh, one of the steak sauce guys from How I Met Your Mother, as well as Mark Andrego, co-writers of The Illegitimates. Mark was Mark and Taryn were super, super nice, really willing to talk to me on the floor, and thanks to Stephanie for making me and giving me the courage to go up and actually speak to them. Uh, hopefully we'll be speaking to Mark more in the future about Batwoman and his DC work, but before we get to that, let's hear Jane, Taryn, and Mark talk about their work. So Talking Comic Books back here, and we're here with Jane Espenson. Jane, thank you so much for joining us at Talking Comics. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, um, how's the comic going you so far? Really good. Yeah. Really exciting. Got to meet a lot of fans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you're reading another one right here. I, I try to be prof- as professional as possible, but I mean, uh, I have to say, the writing on Buffy, Angel, all those shows really kind of defined the way that I kind of look at fiction and look at TV and, and, and write myself. So I just it's really exciting for me to get to meet you and oh, talk to you here. Thank you so much. I mean, really, that's, that's Joss Whedon. Joss yeah. created the feel of those shows. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky to work there. So tell yeah. me about, tell, tell us about Husbands. You have obviously yeah. the, uh, the web series. You have the comic book as right, well. So right. t- tell us about that. Yeah, uh, Husbands is a show I created with Brad Bell. And it's a um, newlywed comedy about two guys who mm-hmm. got married too soon mm-hmm. uh, and sort of bumble through this first year of marriage. And uh, we started it online, just through YouTube, just on our own. And now we're part of the CW family. Mm-hmm. We air at cwseed.com, S-E-E-D. <laughs> and, uh, and the show's continuing there. And it, it just keeps getting bigger and better. And we're, we're really proud of it. So how has the, the change been from when you were doing it on your own there to now you're part of the CW family? Has there been a big difference in production, or is it pretty much stayed the same? It's both improved and hasn't changed at all. It's like <laughs> we've got support. Um, we've got money to make the episodes. We've got cheerleaders <laughs> and, uh, in our camp because CWC is so behind us. And like they do things like help us with promotions and, and mm. producing photo shoots, and it's just big and wonderful. But they, also, they have not changed the content one bit. They wanted the show we were making. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we are, are able to continue to make it. That's awesome. So yeah. what about the, the comic book component of Husbands? Yeah, uh, between two of the stories, we didn't know if we were going to be able to go on. This is before CWC came on board. So we decided, well, let's keep telling stories, but it, let's find another medium to do it in. And Dark Horse Comics wanted to do Husbands books. So there's a big, uh, lovely hardcover collection of the Husbands comic book stories. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan, uh, obviously, I follow you on Twitter, and uh, uh-huh. you do these writing sprints. Yes. Yeah, um, how did that come about uh, for you, and how has kind of the reaction been from people on Twitter? Uh, people seem to love writing sprints. Uh, yeah, it was this, this, I'm a big believer in don't assign work by the task, but by the time. If you, have to, if you only know you have an hour, you can get more done in that hour than you would ever think that you could get done in that hour. So just dedicate an hour to it. And I thought, the problem is getting yourself to start that hour. You know what? If I tell Twitter I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> uh, and the whole plan is like, you unplug. You don't do anything during that hour, but, do, but right. But at the end of the hour, you know you're done. Mm-hmm. 
you can get more done than you'd ever realize. And just doing it, knowing other people are doing it at the same time on Twitter is a great, it's another great way to keep you in the seat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have you got, wrote a lot of husbands while doing writing sprints? Tons of husbands. <laughs> also a lot of once upon a time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's how husbands gets done. Yeah. Uh, although Brad does uh, like more than half the writing. <laughs> I'm gesturing off camera to, to Brad. Brad's yeah, over there. Yeah. yeah. We'll get some B-roll, Brad. Hey, yeah. Hey, there you go. <laughs> we, we snuck a shot of him. Nice. Um, so how's things going on Once Upon a Time as well? Once Upon a Time is fun, yeah. and uh, we just spun off Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Yeah, it premiered yeah, I this that. week. Uh, yeah, it's going great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the season three is, if I may say, tight. <laughs> it's so the storytelling is so tight. It's so um, like its story just has a lot of drive to it. Mm. I, we've all had a great, great time writing this first half of the season. Yeah. And in the writers' room, we're about to plunge into the second half. So, uh, so we're all full of momentum and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I've ever heard a lot of people since they, they've seen like you know the Neverland promos for it. Right. People who don't watch the show wanted to jump in. What was the kind right. of thing changing up and going to like another area like that? Well, we did want a show that people could jump into who who aren't already fans of once. Mm. And uh, and Wonderland is a place we'd always been excited yeah. about going and seeing more of. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like a good natural fit. And I love that Alice by doing Alice. Yeah. You get to have this great strong heroine at the center of the show, mm-hmm. um, which is something I've always enjoyed. So. Yeah. So I, I and uh, Sophie, who plays uh, Alice, is fantastic. We've got a great cast over there, and yeah, people don't have to know once. Just jump in if you want, like this sort of dark, funny, fantastical universe. Yeah. yeah. So, what is it like the difference between writing on a, on a network show like Once Upon a Time and doing Husbands? Do you guys have a writer room, writers room on Husbands, or is it different? We it, it's. It's a virtual writer's room. It's an email writer's room. It's just me and Brad. We yeah. do all the writing for husbands. And generally, he'll write a draft, and he'll email it to me. I'll punch it up and send it back to him, and then he'll refine what I did, and it goes back and forth until we have the script that we both love. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So in the comic world, you, a lot of the properties you've worked on and the ones you're currently working on have gone into comics, you know, all Buffy, Angel, uh, right. you know, Battlestar, Once Upon a Time now has a, right. Marvel put out a book uh, from Once Upon a Time. What right. is it like seeing that stuff that you worked on now in the comic book world? It's amazing when you see like, oh, like, I, I know that character. Yeah. I, I've got to think it's weirder for the actors, though. Yeah. Like, for us, it's like, oh, yeah, I was writing, and now I'm writing, mm-hmm. and you're still writing. Um, but for the actors, you go from being in, in, inherently the most person most involved. You're the person who embodies this character to someone who's probably not involved at all. Right. Uh, so I think that's got to be really jarring. Yeah, we spoke yeah. to Rebecca Isaacs actually a little earlier today. She did the last... Uh, run on Angel and Faith, and she's taking over the main Buffy book. Um, and she said the person she's most excited to draw is Xander, actually. Yeah, I, c- <laughs> I bet they're all fun to draw, but yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. I wish I could draw Xander. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so, um, so the 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 next season of, of Husbands um, is it is it up now? Is it going on? Yeah, now? Okay. all the material that we've shot is all up. I think there's still some behind the scenes that may still be yeah. going up. But if people go to cwseed s e e d dot com, they can watch um, all the material that we have shot to date of all our stories. And there's stories up there with Amy Acker, uh, Janina Gavankar from True Blood is in the most recent episodes. Uh, Elaine Carroll is there, and we've got great guest stars. And um, oh, and in one of the new seasons, one of the new episodes that's up, um, Michael Hogan from Battlestar Galactica oh, wow. is, is one of our guests. So awesome. people should definitely check it out. Awesome, awesome. And yeah. is there more to come? Are we going to get another? We season think so. Think we so? hope so. We wanted. We got more stories to tell. All right. So All right. Cross your fingers and tell. If people out there want to see more, yeah. they should tell. They should tell CWC. So yeah. you can tweet at them or 
you know, let, right. let the CW know you'd like to see more husbands. All right, we'll put all the information in the bottom of this post when they're watching this video. So like they can right here? That. Like right down here, right oh, down here. Fantastic. Right below the video, they'll see it. Okay. All right, all right. Thank you so much, Eskinson, for joining us on Talking Comics. Thank you. All right. All right, we're back with Talking Comic Books. We're on uh, at Artist Alley on day four of New York City Comic Con. I'm here with Taryn Killam and Mark Andrenko, uh, writing team behind The Illegitimates for IDW. So how are you guys doing today? We're doing fantastic. Happy to be here. Uh, we left uh, the SNL after party, I think, at about... A f uh, we got back at four. We got back at four. So we probably left around 3.45, got four to bed by 4.30, back up at 9 to be here, so if, that's a good amount of sleep for me, actually. Yeah, nice. And as you can tell by my voice, <laughs> I've been very busy this con. So quickly, I mean, give us the short pitch on what The Illegitimates is, for people don't know. Uh, the Illegitimates is a comic I created that Mark and I have written, uh, drawn by Kevin Sharp. It's uh, basically a James Bond-like super spy is killed, and the... Uh, the replacement plan for him are the are five bastard children that he has sired with femme fatales and female agents from various adventures in his career. So what has the working relationship been like? Because this, this is your first time writing a comic, right, Taryn? Yes, um, so what has the relationship been like? Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm brand new to this format, and uh, Mark and I have been friends for a long time, and he's a master of it. So uh, I, I came to him and said, help me, guide me. Um, I bought I bought the uh, uh, Powers script book as sort of a guide, um, but Mark has been uh, wonderful in helping me develop it, uh, nudging me uh, in the right direction, and and correcting all of my typos, and and also, you know, just making these characters. Uh, I had very two dimensional ideas of them, and he's really helped me kind of uh, flesh them out. Well, like Darren said, we've been friends for a long time, and when he brought the idea to me, I was like. That's brilliant. I can't believe no one else has ever done it. And he's actually underselling himself. He's, in addition to being a great actor and a comedian, he's a really good writer. So this has been, working with friends is always dicey because it's like having, being roommates with your friends. Those, that usually ends in tears, but this has been one of the most joyful collaborations I've ever been a part of. So. Absolutely. Awesome. And what's it been like working with IDW? Uh, a dream. Fantastic. When I heard that they were interested in maybe publishing this for us, um, first thing that came to mind is they do Ninja Turtles, and that's <laughs> I, I'm I'm a Turtles fan, so uh, I'm turtle crazy. I've I've caught I've caught turtle fever. <laughs> I'm shell shocked. Um, sorry, bud. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. Stop um, right now. Uh, shell shocked is what happened to you in the arcade game. If you got knocked out, you got shell shocked. If you remember, you know, it starts out, the building across the street's burning. We're coming, April! And they jump across the street. I love Ninja Turtles. So, um, Chris and Dirk and Ted have been so supportive. They were they got it right away. Uh, they've really gotten behind it. A lot of trust, especially in, the, you know, uh, someone coming from a, a different format of television. Uh, they had every right to be uh, suspect to me. And, and they, um, they, they've just seen how... how important this is to me. This is a real passion. It's a dream come true. It's a, it's a comic. We have comics in our hand. It's a real thing. And, and, and we owe that all to IDW. Well, I, I have a history with IDW. I've been friends with Chris Ryle, uh, the publisher there for a long time, and have done work for them over the years. So it was, I, I like those guys a lot. So having friends meet other friends and all working together, it's, it's, I'm going to sound like a hippie, but it's a very like, it's like a love-in. And they're so behind the book. We couldn't, we couldn't have asked for a publisher to be more supportive and, more, and have more trust and belief in us. So I'm really, really excited. I'm getting spoiled because 
I told Taryn, I'm like, this is like somebody wrote this for us. This is a, this is not what it's like normally. There's usually a little bit more struggle, but uh, it's just been great. And I can't wait for people to see the book because we're so proud of it. When we got the copies for the con, I spent like an hour just smelling it and reading it because actually, because it's been in the works for so long that once you see it and have it in your hand, it's like it's like having a baby, you know. So it's it's just been I think and it's a book that I would buy if I wasn't involved with it. So you know, I, I love this this property so much. So it's been a lot a lot of fun. Are you both uh, big James Bond fans? Yes, oh, yeah. majorly, majorly yeah. from birth. Absolutely, absolutely. And on the panel I mentioned, you know, everybody's like, what's your favorite Bond? And I'm like, don't forget George Lazenby. That George Lazenby movie is so good because that's, I was saying on the panel, that brought a lot of depth and emotion and, and gravitas to the character. I would have been interested to see if he kept going because it was, that, 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 that's the underrated gem. And of course, Daniel Craig is fantastic. They all had good things except Dalton. He's not a Dalton fan, huh? I think Timothy Dalton's a really great actor, like things like The Rocketeer or Hot Fuzz, but there's not all actors are meant to be leading men. You know, it's like not all actors can do stage that can do screen, and he's a really good actor, but as James Bond, he just felt a little uninteresting to me. But uh, yeah, I, I love James Bond, so you know, this is, this is a lot of fun. So when does the book hit? Uh, December 18th, it'll be in stores. And uh, yeah, put it on your poll list because uh, we're excited. We've got uh, four issues drawn. Fifth, five is being written right now. Uh, but hopefully if, if this catches on, it'll be an ongoing series. Awesome, awesome. Taryn and Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Comics. Thank you, Bobby. All right, so that's going to wrap up our New York Comic Con 2013 coverage. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. And thank you guys so much uh, who came up to us on the show floor and talked to us and, you know, just interacted and, and said, you know, your hellos and how much you liked what we did. It was, it was, it was amazing. And it was, you know, it's, we get a little shell shocked, or at least I do when it happens on the show floor, but, uh, it's kind of an emotional experience. So I really mean the bottom of our hearts. And I speak for everyone when I say you guys are amazing and you guys are the reason uh, why we do this. I figured that since I'm here and since I'm doing this, I should give you guys the releases that are coming out this week because, you know, you're listening and this is what this is one of the things you're used to. So I can do this by myself, right? I hope, at least. Uh, from Avatar Press, we have Crossed Badlands, number 39, uh, Extinction Parade, number 3, and the Uber Volume 1 Enhanced Edition. Uh, from Boom Studios, Adventure Time, number 21, we've got Clive Barker's Hellraiser, The Dark Watch, number 9, Clive Barker's Next Testament, Number one. Oh, this is, the, this is a Comic-Con variant cover. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I do that every week. Imagine Agents, number one. Regular Show, number four. And Six Gun Gorilla, number five of six. Um, from Dark Horse Comics, we've got BPRD, Hell on Earth, number 112. Baltimore, The Infernal Train, number two. The Black Beetle, volume one, No Way Out, hardcover. Um, Bloodhound, Crowbar, Medicine, number one of five. Brain Boy, number two. Buzzkill, number two. Conan the Barbarian, number 21. Shoot First, number one. We've got Strain the Fall, number four. From DC Comics, we have 100 Bullets, Brother Lono, number five. Um, we've got uh, Animal Man, number 24. Batman 66, number four. Batman Two-Face, number 24. Batman Beyond Universe, number three. Batman Superman, number four. Batwoman, number 24. Birds of Prey, number 24. Fables, number 134. Um, we've got Forever Evil Rogues Rebellion, number one. We've got Green Lantern New Guardians, number 24. Got uh, He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, number seven. 
Got Joker, Death in the Family, hardcover. Death of the Family, hardcover. Uh, Justice League of America, number eight. Uh, Justice League... Uh, sorry, no. Legends of the Dark Knight, number 13, which is the final issue. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 24. We've got Supergirl, number 24. And Wonder Woman, number 24. And Trinity of Sin, Pandora, number 4. From Daima Entertainment, we've got Dark Shadows, number 21. We've got Deja Thoris and the Green Men of Mars, number 7. We've got... Um, Grim number six, Jennifer Blood number thirty-two, King's Watch number two, Shadow number eighteen, uh, Shadow Green Hornet, Dark Knights number four of five, um, Warlords of Mars, Deja Thoris number thirty. Uh, from IDW, we've got GI Joe, Real American Hero number one ninety-five, Star Trek Con number one. We've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 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 uh, the Works Volume Two hardcover, Transformers More Than Meets the Eye number twenty-two. Uh, we've got Wild Blue Yonder, number two. We've got X-Files Season 10, number five. From Image Comics, we've got Bushido, number three. We've got Invincible, number 106. We've got Morning Glories, number 33. Nowhere, Nowhere Men, number six. Shelter, number four. Thief of Thieves, number 17. Whispers, number six. Steve will be excited. And Zero, number two. Um, from Marvel Comics, we have A plus X, number 13. Avengers, number 21. Avengers Assemble, number 20. Uh, Cable and X-Force, number 15. Uh, Fantastic Four, number 13. Guardians of the Galaxy, number 7. Uh, Hawkeye, number 13. Finally, Hunger, number 4. Indestructible Hulk special, number 1, which continues on from the um, all-new X-Men special. Uh, We've got Iron Man, number 9. New Avengers, number 11. Superior Spider-Man, number 19. Um, Superior... Uncanny X-Men number 13, Wolverine Max number 12, and X-Men Legacy number 18. Um, let's see, anything from Valiant this week? Uh, from Valiant Entertainment, we have Bloodshot and the Hardcore number 15, uh, Exo Man Award number 18, and from Xenoscope, Grim Fairy Tales Presents Robin Hood Wanted number 5. All right, so that's on shelves right now. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Again, uh, help Steve Niles at gmail.com. Send anything you can to him, uh, even if it's a dollar. Uh, anything will help to help kind of rebuild uh, their lives. And again, I want to thank everyone listening to the show. I want to thank everyone who interviewed with us, who took time out of their schedule to talk with us. And I want to thank New York Comic Con for being a great host. I mean, the show had its issues, but 113,000 people showed up, which makes it just 130,000, sorry, just about even with San Diego Comic Con. In 2007, it got 15,000 attendees. So it's been a huge growing process for them. Hopefully, they start evening it out. Hopefully, in the years to come, it becomes a well-oiled machine. But as a New Yorker, I take some pride in knowing that we are now just as big as the biggest Comic-Con in the country. Don't forget, guys, as well, that we have those interviews with Kevin Smith, Chris Claremont, and 44 Flood coming at you during the week. So... Even though they're not here, for Steve, Bob, and Stephanie, I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.